Welcome to Global Bitcoin Fest and New Zealand. Today we're meeting the New Zealand Bitcoin community. Super excited to hear their stories. It's a faraway land that uh, many people want to visit and uh, has a lot of special things about it that we're going to hear in this space. We are Global Bitcoin Fest. We started doing free sats giveaway in latin america in spanish back in 2021 for fun we started with el salvador mexico cuba venezuela we did a little chat group on twitter and uh, we discussed what next country to orange pill and give away free sats and one day one guy suggested hey let's do a 24-hour non-stop twitter space to celebrate the adoption of bitcoin in el salvador on the 7th of september and we only had six days to prepare this it was a pretty crazy endeavor but we managed to get 24 separate spaces hosted by bitcoin communities all over the world about 18 different communities chimed in and did their own space and it was an amazing experience we loved it so much it was really cool to hear all these stories so we were like okay let's do this every week let's try to hear one community share their story and that's what we've been doing we're past 50 countries at the moment and we're going to go all the way until we've covered all countries around the world and maybe some special places as well and that's what we are about we're about talking with local bitcoin communities hearing their stories learning about the bitcoiners what they're doing on the ground and just also get to know what their culture and their place is about and today we're doing New Zealand. Very excited about this space. Before we start, we have another song, Home Again by Shihad. Anthem of homesick kiwis everywhere. The legends of Shihad are always striving for greatness and not afraid to speak their mind. This song was selected by James Vigie.
So uh, tell us more about this song, James. Uh, yeah, sure. She had uh, quite a famous rock band from New Zealand. From They started, I think, back in the 90s. And their name is a misspelling of the word jihad, which is quite controversial. <laughs> um, but that is the Arabic word for striving. So they're always striving for greatness. And this song is a favorite to play at New Zealand barbecues and parties and uh, definitely a favorite amongst Kiwis when they're hanging out overseas. And we're thinking about heading back to New Zealand. Nice. Is this a party song that uh, you guys play when you party as well and everybody kind of jumps out of their seats and starts jumping? I get that vibe. Yeah. If, if you look up the live version of it on YouTube, there's a lot of uh, footage of packed out theaters with people like mosh pits and um, crowd surfing and all of that. Yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty good rock song. So let's get to know our guests. Let's hear their stories and uh, bit Kiwi. Bit Kiwi brought everybody here, and we're very grateful for you organizing this. Hey, what's up? Hey, thanks for having us on, Lucas. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's great having this group on. I think it's a good group. We should get some good stories and, and things about New Zealand. Um, so my story in Bitcoin was about three, four years ago. A friend of mine, DC, a childhood friend since we were about four years old, started talking to me about good old crypto mentioned a few things to me and I started looking into it a little bit. Got another childhood friend involved in the conversations, Dan, and the three of us started sort of getting into it and looking into things. The more we read and consumed, the more we quickly realized the difference of Bitcoin and we became maxis pretty fast. Probably is in the space about three or four months and we were all in Bitcoin maxis. And Dan, to his credit, never owned any other coin. So he's pure Bitcoin maxi. Um, and then the more we got into it, the more obsessed we really became as a bit of a trio. And so we got together and formed BitKiwi because we couldn't find many meetups around. We sort of fell into a few shitcoin meetups that we weren't really our scene. And we were just looking for other Bitcoiners to hang out. Tip invited us to a meetup in Auckland, which kind of motivated us a bit to get something else going. So we started the BitKiwi events and we've been running them for about a year. We've had five around the country. And we've just sort of been growing and we've got to know and got to know all these other Bitcoiners and just gone deeper and deeper. And now we're just really entrenched in the community and loving life, really. So we're trying to grow these events bigger and bigger and make a space for all the Bitcoiners to get together and work on things together. And there's a ton of people now coming to these meetups who are working on projects and just doing really awesome things and just amazing, positive, motivated people to talk to. We just love being involved. It's our story, really. I love it. And uh, when we spoke before this space, it was really inspiring to hear the work that you guys are doing. So I look forward to hearing more of the report from the ground. Do I call you BitKiwis? <laughs> yeah, you may as well. I think that's what most people call me. Real name is Paul, but I, I'm easy either or. It's my identity these days. I'll do BitKiwi because it's easiest. <laughs> Thank you for bringing everybody. And uh, Tip NZ. Do I call you Tip NZ? I can just call me Tip. <laughs> hey, um, Tip. Hello. I, I don't know if you guys, like, if anyone caught this, but I love how Paul Bikiwi started their intro with Yena because that's like a true Kiwi slang. Like, you can say the word Yena in, like, all occasions, and it's just hilarious how he started his intro with that. I don't know if it's on purpose, but I feel like it's, like, 
it's a, it's a funny little thing. Um, um, I'm Tiff. I, I live in New Zealand, but I'm actually currently in Thailand right now. And I've been bouncing kind of between these two countries ever since I was six years old. And I've always found like the contrast between living in a developed versus a developing country so jarring, especially like the difference in quality of life and just like the experience generally. And it was kind of through this lens that led me down my first Bitcoin rabbit hole. I watched a video about why Bitcoin is important for human rights by Alex Gladstein and started to realize learning about money helps explain the contrast I was experiencing between New Zealand and Thailand. And it's funny because I came from a finance background. I was investing in like public private equity, but I never really questioned what money was. And so I started creating these TikTok videos explaining kind of what I knew about Bitcoin in 2021. Um, I've been making music and short films about Bitcoin, investing like a wee bit into Bitcoin startups and just contributing to Orange, which is a global Bitcoin community. It's 24-7 online world with Bitcoin education and commerce. And yeah, Bitcoin is borderless. My life is borderless. And I, I think that that's the direction the future is heading. And I just want to help build that community in reality. Nice. That's a lot of different stuff. Look forward to hearing more about that. Nice to meet you, Tip. And we have Mr. James Viaggio. Yeah, thank you. James Vigiano or just James Vigi for short. I'm born and bred in New Zealand. My um, professional background before, I guess, Bitcoin was traditional finance. That's where I've gained experience in a bunch of different roles across that industry. The most recent was when I was a credit trader for a US investment bank. Throughout my entire career in finance, Bitcoin's always been there on the side as something I was interested in. I guess you could say that alienated me a little bit from my colleagues in the industry. There's a lot of, I'm not sure what it's like today, but back then it was a lot of, I guess, anger or I don't know, they were scared of Bitcoin. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> but in 2018, I made the decision to leave the banking sector and just dedicate my time to Bitcoin. What I did was I started off by, I set up a Bitcoin dollar cost averaging service in Australia. That's where I was living at the time. Uh, but we faced uh, a lot of challenges, um, particularly with the banking where we got debanked pretty much every time we tried to open a bank account. And then later I joined a digital asset hedge fund where I was fully immersed in everything that was happening in the broader crypto space as well as Bitcoin. And then now presently I'm uh, solely focused on Bitcoin where I um, just contribute what I can to early stage Bitcoin startups and projects with the help of bringing forward our bright orange future. So yeah, that's me and thank you for having me. Thanks, James. Nice to meet you, Rob. Hi, Lucas. Yeah, um, my name is Rob. I'm, as you can probably tell from my accent, not originally from New Zealand. I came to New Zealand in 2008 after um, leaving the UK to go traveling. And um, I was in Australia for a year and I thought I'd nip over to New Zealand and, and check the place out and um, kind of fell in love with it. Met my wife and have a house now. So here permanently, obviously. Yeah, I, I discovered Bitcoin a long while ago from a guy on Facebook who said they just bought a Bitcoin. I thought, what is a Bitcoin? So I did a bit of investigating and um, I was able to buy one. It was a while ago. So I was able to buy one from a guy over the counter through IRC, which was, I don't know if you know IRC, it's like a really old chat client. Yeah. And um, I've got a computer science background. So I didn't take it seriously at first, but when I read the white paper, I understood about 30% of it. And uh, I knew enough to realize that it was sort of completely different from anything that had been before. At that point, I was completely hooked. And so since then, I've 
done a few different things. I've ran a, a Bitcoin exchange for a brief amount of time with a business partner that lost its bank account. And then more recently, I, I decided I was going to try teaching Bitcoin to people in my local community. So I started a website to get people to sign up to come to small classes. So like classes of like 10 to 12 people just in a room. And we learn about hardware wallets and sending, receiving Bitcoin on, you know, on chain and on the Lightning Network. Yeah, involved with a few different projects with some of the other guys who are speaking in here to help onboard merchants to Bitcoin around New Zealand. So that's what my main focus is at the moment. Exciting. Also a lot there on the table. Thanks, Rob. Okay, so Simon, what's up? Hey, everyone. Yeah, so I have been a Bitcoiner for quite a long time, actually. I remember getting a command line scripts running to mine Bitcoin on a CPU probably 10 years ago. I remember realizing how hot it made my laptop run and that it wasn't a very good way to write university assignments, uh, mining Bitcoin and trying to write management 101 papers at the same time. So it didn't last very long. But um, I always was really interested in how there was this system and network that enabled people to exchange real value without any limitations. And unlike, I think a lot of people, especially people who have come into this recently and over the last few years, I had an extremely gradual kind of growth into the space. I probably held, you know, tens of full Bitcoins very early and got rid of them at various times and then bought fewer and fewer back until it was no longer sustainable to buy whole ones and ended up, you know, kicking myself for um, the massive missed opportunity of hodling that I um, uh, had I had I had my head screwed on a little better. But um, it married very well with a kind of obsession that I've always had, which is around passive income. I've always loved the idea of mining or having machines that work for you in the background while you can focus on life or doing other stuff or fiat mining if you have to. But what gradually became really obvious to me is that um, I think it's really important strategically for a country like New Zealand, or in fact, for every country to have a portion of hash rate within its borders, because whether or not you think Bitcoin is going to become the backbone of the world's financial system or not, the game theory of it tells us that it's a good idea to have this as part of your economy. And when I realized that New Zealand had 0.0% of the world's hash rate, according to the Cambridge dashboard, I decided we had to do something about that. So I started a company called Stacker, which is what I operate today which is a Bitcoin mining company. We work exclusively in the space of uh, renewables and, and running a next generation financial asset. We also run it with next generation energy sources as well. And so, yeah, we're just working very hard on scaling that to become not just a local, but hopefully a global kind of player in the hash rate for Bitcoin. Um, and that's where I'm at today. That's super interesting. Thank you, Simon. Look forward to hearing more about that Bitcoin mining business. Mr. The Transformation of Value by Cody Ellingham. Yeah. Can I call you something shorter? You can call me Cody, if that's all right. The Transformational Value is my podcast about Bitcoin thinking. My story about coming into Bitcoin, I guess you could say I was a Bitcoiner before I was a Bitcoiner. I left New Zealand when I was 21, moving to Tokyo, Japan leaving the countryside, I guess, for one of the great concrete cities of the world. I turned up with nothing building a photography and design business over there. And I really got into literature in Japan, you know, reading voraciously, uh, history, philosophy, and these kinds of things. And I stumbled upon a book that really inspired me called The Fountainhead, 
by Ayn Rand. Amongst Bitcoiners, Ayn Rand is a little bit famous, I guess, for Atlas Shrugged. But actually, the fountainhead really spoke to me about the power of an individual to build things that are beautiful, to create and achieve their dreams. And at the time, though, I didn't really connect that with Bitcoin. It wasn't really until I got back to New Zealand a few years later that I was really able to kind of synthesize my creative life with this idea of a new kind of money, a new kind of value transfer, and sort of what that change might mean for the world. And so I guess where I'm at today, I run a creative business still, but my contribution to Bitcoin is really about trying to connect that creative approach with the podcast. So the transformational value is really a show about the impact of Bitcoin thinking on the world, art, philosophy, culture, talking to different people and kind of meeting them where they are um, and sort of trying to connect not just the Bitcoin protocol, but the idea of proof of work, the idea of the transformational value, the way that the world will become under this sound money standard. And these kind of bigger questions have really interested me. And so through that, I've gotten to know a lot of the Bitcoiners in this space, built a lot of connections with people, and it's been a really inspiring journey. One thing that I really like is that there's so many different people and with different passions in Bitcoin. It gives me hope we can actually build a circular economy worldwide to create this parallel system properly. Thank you. Hey, Honey Badger, what do I call you? Um, I'm known as Kiwi Lamb. Yeah. So my origin story, uh, well, was uh, 2017. My background's a software developer. I was at work and one of our colleagues was um, leaving. And I just happened to ask him what he was up to. And he said he was going to join Cryptopia. And I was like, oh, what's Cryptopia? And um, a little bit of history there in New Zealand. It was a exchange that was founded in Christchurch in New Zealand. And that was in 2017. Later, uh, gone belly up, etc. But that was my, I think, my second touch point in Bitcoin. And I thought, oh, what's this Cryptopia exchange uh, doing, you know, Bitcoin and other uh, cryptos? I had to look into it at that point, and I'm a technical person, so I sort of took a technical route into looking into Bitcoin and did some reading and stuff like that. Lots of books, listening to YouTubers, and kind of got onto Twitter, Bitcoin area. Brought my first Bitcoins in 2017, and that was my start of my journey. So as I said, I was a software developer, and thanks to the BitKiwi guys that have recently brought these meetups together, it sort of brought us together as a group and I just like helping out where I can in any uh, technical endeavors. I also started looking into running lightning nodes, BTC pay servers and really anything else that I can get my hands off, get my hands on that interests me in the space. So yeah, that's my my story, how I got into it. Awesomeness. Thank you so much. And with we have BTC Nautilus. Hey everybody. My name is Brandon. BTC Nautilus sort of has become my Bitcoin handle. That's the name that I gave my first Lightning node, and that's how I entered the community, I suppose. I uh, am one of those that came across Bitcoin pretty early as well, sort of from a different perspective than most, I think. But uh, yeah, I was a young American, obviously. You can tell by my accent. Libertarian at the time, just doing some reading and came across it in, I think, Reason Magazine article. And it's just really interested in the idea of uh, removing money from government and, you know, had that uh, chip on my shoulder about the Federal Reserve and the elite stealing money from everyone slowly. Yeah, just tickled my funny bone in that way. And bought a little bit back then. That was back in 2013. But to be honest, I never thought Bitcoin would actually become what it is today. I I looked at it as something that um, 
to provide a tool for freedom for people. And, you know, was fascinated by the idea that we might have something that was unstoppable. And it was, that's, that's really where it got me. I, I mostly watched from afar for a long time and participated a little bit in Reddit communities and stuff along the way. But it really wasn't until, you know, a handful of years ago, after going through just watching the block size war and shitcoin a little bit over the course of the 2017 cycle, I, you know, maybe in 2019, things started changing, watching the world change and Bitcoin entering a, a larger prominence in the world sort of decided that I guess I was wrong. This is something that really could happen, even though, you know, that whole time I was, you know, a cheerleader and fascinated, interested and learned all I could. At that time, I, I decided that I was going to get involved. You know, I, my route to doing that was to learn as much as I could. I bought as many of the tools as I could, started running a lightning node and playing as many of the different uh, technologies out there that I could. It's been an interesting journey. I eventually you know, started reaching out, trying to find people in New Zealand. I've been here since 2015 and, you know, never met a single Bitcoiner until just a couple of years ago. Came across the Telegram group, um, got involved there, and then landed on Kiwi, which has been, you know, that first meetup I went to just last November. Honestly, it was the first time I think in person that I like got around a group of Bitcoiners and all that time. And it really changed things for me. Just meeting people face to face and shaking hands and talking about Bitcoin like minded individuals was something that really was different. And and since that time we few of us have been collaborating on projects and, and starting to build things. We've started nzbitcoiners.org, which is just a place generally for New Zealand Bitcoiners to learn about Bitcoin and a handful of other projects that are coming along the way. And it's been a really great couple of years. And that the thing I thought I identified uh, as a you know low-level freedom tool that might save us one day, but never thought would work, looks like it's working. And I'm really excited about that. Thank you, BTC Nautilus. And we have heard the individual stories and introductions of the Bitcoin New Zealand crew. Let's kick off with some history. But before we talk about history, we have another song. And it's not any song. It's Poi E by Patea Maori Club. Here's a classic Maori banger. Simono Collins chose this song. Oh, my God. 
I love this video. It's a little boy at the end that's doing these moves. It makes me remember the protests during the COVID lockdowns. There was some videos that was circulating of some Maori warriors doing this traditional dance. And they, they use like their fist, put it to their chest, and they look super manly. And this is like small boy in the video that's doing that, looking really proud. Uh, Simon, do you want to add something about the song? Uh, yeah, well, this song's got an interesting history because it was a, a number one hit in New Zealand in the 80s, you know, when we didn't have a lot of exposure to um, international culture. And then it re-entered New Zealand charts when one of New Zealand's more famous international exports, Taika Waititi, put it in one of his films, Boy, which I think, actually, no, I think one of his other films is the top roasting New Zealand-made film of all time. So yeah, it's had two, two shots at um, fame in New Zealand. So we want to hear about New Zealand history. Did Kiwi... Um, I guess the, the key theme is New Zealand's a really young country, really. The Māori were the first peoples here, so I think it was around seven or 800 years ago. And then the first non-Māori visitors after that were in the 17th century. So it's really young compared to most of the rest of the world. A cool thing about New Zealand is that because it was so separated as islands, the way that nature developed in New Zealand, there were very little mammals and predators and so it developed quite a unique landscape where birds were the dominant animal on the land. And so we've got quite a huge amount of bird species and a lot of them flightless because there were very little predators for them. So they didn't necessarily have to fly away from anything. So New Zealand's got a very interesting flora and fauna situation that we've developed, which also means that the flora and fauna is very vulnerable to predators that came later on ships, rats and possums and pests and things. And so now New Zealand is a very focused country on trying to preserve those species and there's a number of islands that have been rid of pestle together that are bird sanctuaries or animal sanctuaries and so that's part of being a young country I guess that was not found by people for a long long time was um, that kind of vulnerability as well. It means we don't have a lot of extremely old architecture and things like that. The country's all quite young. We're a part of the Commonwealth and we're sort of under the British wing for a long time. So we sort of took a while to come out and sort of establish our identity. And yeah, I think we're still finding that today, but most New Zealanders are pretty proud of where they come from and their history. Yeah, I guess that's a bit of a starting point. It struck me during the presentations that Cody seems to be a history buff, said that he was reading a lot of history books. Did you read a lot of New Zealand history too? Yeah, um, New Zealand history is, is very interesting. It's, New Zealand's an extremely multicultural place, uh, especially in the cities. You see just this flux of global culture, which really only started to emerge in proper sort of in, in the 1980s. You know, New Zealand for a long time was a very closed off place. Just the way the, um, the economy worked, the way the political system work it worked it was it was very closed off from the rest of the world and, and just even physically where if you look on a globe we're very far from anywhere and we've very recently opened up to the world in a, a meaningful way so even though we uh, we you know we speak a, a predominantly English we uh, have that Commonwealth sort of British tradition we're also very much part of the Pacific world very close connections with the Pacific Islands Samoa Tonga these places and as well as Asia uh, you know, huge connection with places like China, Indonesia, the Philippines, that, you know, there is this really beautiful mix of, of culture and food and people coming through New Zealand. Talk a little bit about first people that came to New Zealand. Who are these people and why did they come so late to New Zealand? New Zealand was populated like, after Hawaii even? Like, how come? Yeah, the, the Maori people... I guess, uh, oh, sorry, oh, Simon. Oh, 
most of the Pacific Island uh, nations, New Zealand included, were settled by people from Hawaii, which is a sort of predecessor to Hawaii. So that's why um, Māori and Samoa and Cook Islands, other Pacific Islands, share quite similar cultures and Hawaii as well. And yeah, as Cody says, they were expert navigators and there was a bit of a diaspora. They were just looking for new places to settle. Yeah, so Māori arrived in New Zealand which they called Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud. And they settled and developed a really thriving culture. And then, of course, white people came along, gave them the same treatment that white people give everybody everywhere, which is to use negotiation, subjugation, and modern weapons to subjugate the society. And like most places around the world, we haven't really found the perfect mix here, but we're getting better at honouring the terms of what's called the Treaty of Waitangi, which was the agreement between the Crown, the British government, and all of the tribes, the iwi of New Zealand, which was a document that was ignored for a really long time. And then over the last few decades has started to become a recognised part of our constitution and now is part of the guiding principles of how we approach governance in this country. So the Treaty of Waitangi, the interesting thing was that there were two versions. There was one version that was written in English and one that was written in Māori, and they stated different things around Māori self-governance. And when it was signed, the settlers began to acquire land by like trading for it or confiscating it. There was a lot of misunderstanding because they didn't speak the same language. And in New Zealand, there were multiple tribes of Māori with multiple different dialects as well. So it was really difficult to actually come to an agreement of what do we do with land? How do we divide resources when the settlers came? And so that escalated to like land wars and dispute over sovereignty. Yes, there's still kind of like a deep distrust of the crown and, and the government today. It's interesting because it was kind of like this violation of property rights is still such a big issue and it's really relevant for Bitcoin. And, you know, Bitcoin does solve for that issue by having kind of this immutable shared record of private property ownership. So it's such a relevant example. There's an article in Bitcoin magazine about the money issue and the history of Maori money versus the English money. That article you're referencing, I interviewed the person who wrote that. Uh, he's a Kiwi living in the United States, uh, Ben Javi. Oh, I interviewed him on the podcast and it was really great to dive into what that really means because... You know, the Maori were extremely sophisticated and able to quickly adapt to what was effectively the world changing right in front of them. And so there was this petition to the Queen that King Tafia, one of the Maori chiefs, went to England to petition the Queen to set up his own bank. And the bank that eventually went on to become normal in New Zealand were really all around fractional reserve banking. And the idea of a full reserve bank, which King Tafia was looking at, just wasn't able to work in that rigged system. And so there's a lot of these issues historically related to money, which really all is connected. I would also want to ask about the Commonwealth and the English. How come that New Zealand is actually part of the crown, of the English crown, right? Um, the British were in New Zealand. Uh, we were a colony of New Zealand, becoming a, a dominion somewhat later. We still are part of the Commonwealth. Uh, in fact, on Monday, we're celebrating the King's birthday, have a public holiday. So we have very strong ties. We've got several people on the chat from the United Kingdom and New Zealand. Culturally, we're very connected in terms of just the, the little things, the way we speak, afternoon tea, things like that. So there is that cultural connection. And, and places like Australia, South Africa, Canada also share that. Yeah, BitKiwi, please go. Yeah, I'm just going to back up what Cody was saying there. So most um, non-Maldi people in New Zealand are of 
I'd say I don't know the percentages, but a huge amount would be of British ancestry. And there was the English and to a lesser extent the Scottish, where a heavy percentage of the early settlers came to New Zealand and settled. So we've definitely got a strong British theme in our culture. And um, I think we've inherited a little bit of American culture and sort of sat on a little bit of a fence in between, but still more strongly British flavoured as in a lot of the language and mannerisms. A lot of British people travel here now. There's strong connections with family and ancestry and culture and everything right through there. So it's definitely the strongest overseas flavor that comes through in our society. Are you also part of this um, English export of criminals that happened to Australia or was it a completely different? No, no, no. no. You're mixing us with the Australians. <laughs> it was a desirable place to go. We weren't a penal colony. People were queuing up to get here, mate. Still are. Okay. Thank you guys for the rundown of New Zealand history. It's a rich history we heard. And we are having another song. Royals by Lord. And will never be royals. It don't run in our blood. That kind of looks just ain't for us. We crave a different kind of buzz. Tip and Z. Here we go. Seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings In the movies And I'm not proud of my address In the torn up town No postcode envy But every song's like gold teeth Grey goose dripping in the bathroom Bloodstains, ball gowns Trash in the hotel room We don't care Driving Cadillacs in our dreams But everybody's like crystal Maybach Diamonds on your timepiece Jet planes, islands Tigers on a gold leash We don't care We aren't caught up in your love affair And we'll never be royals Royals It's a one in our blood That kind of looks just ain't for us We crave a different kind of buzz Let me be your ruler Ruler Friends and I, we've cracked the code We count our dollars on the train To the party And everyone who knows us knows That we're fine with this Yes Hey, I had to check this song Because I recall hearing this song a lot on the radio a few years back, and I was like, is this really a New Zealand song? Yeah, it's a New Zealand band. Hey, Tip, do you want to add anything? That is exactly why I chose it, because a lot of people have heard of Lord, but they don't know that she's from Auckland. And so it's like, it, it, this needs to be said. <laughs> so um, uh, Lord is a female artist from Auckland, and I think she really redefined like the global music scene. She's got like this really humble, eloquent style, which is really reflective of Kiwi culture. I think it's grounded. It's young, it's unique. And I love the lyrics where it's like, while the rest of the world is singing about Lambos and brand names and that fiat lifestyle, like her lyrics were like, we're not caught up in that love affair. That kind of luxe just ain't for us. We crave a different kind of buzz. And I think that does a good job at describing what modern Kiwis are about. Like we'd rather spend time 
hiking up a hill or like swimming in the ocean or riding motorbikes on a farm or chilling in our backyard with our mates. Like there's a preference to spend time on doing activities that ground and help develop you through experiences as opposed to like collecting material possessions. And after learning about Bitcoin and understanding that money is, you know, reflective of our time and energy, I've come to appreciate this like grounded New Zealand lifestyle a lot more. So yeah, I think New Zealand, it's a really good song that reflects like a low time preference and Bitcoin values. And it's a Kiwi song. Yes, it's perfect. (laughs) Beautiful introduction. We are going to talk about New Zealand today and what it's all about. So I think this was a great segue into that. My impression of Kiwis is exactly what you described. It's this kind of cozy people, quite grounded. It seems like people really like New Zealanders. People also are quite fascinated by New Zealand in general. It's my impression. So uh, what are the things that we should really know about New Zealand that is not what we hear on the news and everything, because obviously a lot of that stuff is just PR and promotion. What's the real stuff? What's the good stuff? I think I'll just chime in as a recent entry to New Zealand back in 2015. I mean, I think you've captured like the essence of what's brought me here. I, I originally came on an assignment that was meant to be pretty brief, but my partner and I fell in love with the place and, and it's primarily just a different life in business where I got frustrated with... <laughs> You know, some of the ways people work here at first, but eventually I fell in love with the laid back nature of the people priorities being different. You know, when I go visit back home and people being obsessed with their cars and their stuff and their it just different things that it's not the way it works here. You know, people are really about your family and time and getting outside and seeing things and talking to each other and connection. It's It's a great place that the people are along with the landscape. The people in the landscape getting outside and, and doing, you know, whether it's skiing, fly fishing and hiking, getting into the mountains, everything about this place just kept me here and we had to come back. I love it. Um, I'll add to that, Lucas. Um, you know, I'm very lucky to have been able to live overseas. And I think uh, an anecdote that sort of uh, typifies New Zealand is every time I leave Tokyo, I go via Narita Airport back to Auckland. I always see at least one person I know on that flight that's the way new zealand is you know we're a small country you know anyone in the country is only a a couple of hops from another person in terms of connections because of that the way people treat each other is a little bit different you know there's not an unlimited number of people out there and so you you do have to work with the people in your community the way you you treat others the way you treat your neighbors it's a very different approach compared to a, a huge place like tokyo or some of the big cities around the world there's just this sort of sense of community and connection that you get. And I think that's a really special thing that I've learned to certainly appreciate. Tip, you mentioned that the lifestyle of New Zealand is very close to the Bitcoin mindset. Does that mean that New Zealanders have a natural tendency to get Bitcoin easier? Or is that not true? I feel like um, inherently we should understand Bitcoin because we do value our time and our energy. But since the financial system in New Zealand has actually been pretty good, like we have FPOS machines since like the 80s, it's just really convenient. I feel like there's no real urgency to understand why the broader financial system is broken. And I personally struggled a little bit to try and convince people around me and my friends and stuff that, you know, like, hey, you should look into Bitcoin. I just, I feel like there isn't 
like a perfect way for me to explain it yet. So if anyone out there knows how to convince a Kiwi who is very happy with their life that the financial system is broken and we should really be looking at this, let me know. Yeah, I think I think Tip makes a really good point there, which is that in some ways the sort of laid back, she'll be right kind of attitude that New Zealand has also can manifest a bit as apathy. And so when something is not necessarily broke on its surface, we don't rush to fix it. We're not like, you know, the revolting French who will, um, you know, throw a protest and light some cars on fire at the drop of a hat to make sure that their voices are heard. We're far more likely to kind of let things roll over a little bit. And I think that's actually a natural barrier to Bitcoin adoption in New Zealand because we're not one of the countries in the world that suffers from high proportions of underbanked citizens or even unbanked citizens. We're kind of one of that 1.5 billion in the world who have access to kind of what you'd consider elite tier banking services. So the need for something like Bitcoin as a solution isn't clearly demonstrated at face value on a daily basis. I think what does appeal to New Zealanders is the inherent sense of fairness that comes with Bitcoin. It's kind of equity as a system enables better access. And that is something that I find resonates with people more than banking services, the unbanked or property rights, because we kind of have a lot of that in New Zealand within reach. So does each Kiwi have an extra house outside in the countryside or do you all live in the countryside already so you don't need that extra house? I'm Swedish, okay? So we're a nature people as well. We like to chill out in nature just like the New Zealanders. And every Swede basically has a summer house or a winter house or whatever. And whenever there is time off, we will go to the countryside and enjoy nature. That's, that's our modus operandi. Yeah, in New Zealand, we have what's called a batch. And it's spelled B-A-C-H. And a batch is, yeah, is the holiday home. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we do. There is that culture here. Um, the, the batch culture that Simon speaks of is definitely a huge part of that. And that, that particular piece of it has become mostly out of reach. Um, but that was once a very, that was the way that it was done. You'd find a small piece of land and an un, generally an underdeveloped beach community. And you'd build something pretty bespoke not much more than a shed, and that would become where your your retreat would be when you had some time, and perhaps families would share them, they'd get passed down, and that was really, really common. A lot of it's still around, and, and you know, you'll hear of a friend, oh, you can use my batch, and that is, it's still a thing, but due to the value of land and that, it's become more and more out of reach, so that culture still definitely exists, though, but now people just don't have a place they own to go and do it at, but everyone has their own place they go. It's really common. There's a place a family will summer holiday every summer holidays. Camping is a big thing. So you'll go to Kiwi campgrounds, a pretty uh, iconic, just little grass plots, and you'll take a tent or a camper van or set something up. And that's hugely popular and common. Families might get together from different parts of the countries in the same sort of beachside area every Christmas and that sort of thing. Choose and swimming. And yeah, famously here, Christmas is in the middle of summer. So, you know, we, we watch all the snow on TV at Christmas time. And then we go out the back in the scorching sun and we swim and we go to the beach and we surf and we climb and we walk. And that's our kind of Christmas summer thing. And that's a huge part of the culture. Where are you going in the holidays? Where are you going to camp? Where are you going to tramp? What are you going to climb? Where are you going to swim? What are you going to do? That's a huge part of New Zealand culture. What else should we know about New Zealand before we jump 
straight into Bitcoin. Is there anything we're missing here? Are New Zealanders wild party people? Why did they record Lord of the Rings, some episodes in New Zealand? Is it because the Lord lives in New Zealand? So New Zealand's known for its landscapes and its nature. And uh, we had an American visitor come recently and they were just like around every corner. It's just beautiful. The mountains, the, the landscape, the trees, everything. So I think part of that, cinematically speaking, is why Lord of the Rings was filmed here. Uh, beautiful mountain roads, especially down south. Um, you know, we've got the two islands, which I don't know if we mentioned earlier, but there's the North Island and the South Island. And definitely the South would take the crown for being the most beautiful. But just the landscape is probably the thing that is um, most memorable for most, for people, just getting out into nature, seeing the lakes and the rivers and just how pure and clean it is. Being able to drink the water out of out of the rivers, being able to swim, and you know, in nature, there's not very many dangerous animals and and that, so you can go out into nature. And I think that's what really sticks with people. There's a phrase like Kiwi ingenuity that's used to describe creative problem solving, like using what we have on hand. Since we, you know, live on an island, being self sufficient and crafty is like a huge part of the culture. So that mindset plus like the isolation has incubated a lot of really smart, practical entrepreneurs. And um, when I was scouting out the landscape of New Zealand. Do you guys hear tip? She dropped off, no, for, she me. Dropped off for me. Yeah. I was, I was going to chime in actually and just say that New Zealand has one of the best networks of backcountry huts in the world. So it's actually quite a, a mecca for trampers and hikers. You can basically walk into the wilderness and for, I think, somewhere in the region of 15 to $20, you can spend the night in any number of backcountry huts, which are on the side of mountains along, you know, next to waterfalls. So it's, if you're keen on tramping and hiking, it's definitely the place, place to come. Tip, you're back now. You dropped out. Can you please continue? I'm so sorry. I dropped out. Um, just going to say, like, for a country of like 5 million people, when I was looking at startups in New Zealand, there were so many like world class businesses that you just wouldn't think came from New Zealand. And they ranged a lot as well from like deep tech, science and engineering companies like Rocket Lab and Lancer Tech to like global software businesses. I don't know if you guys have heard of Zero Sequent. And then you mentioned before Lord of the Rings, we had really incredible production studios, better workshops that worked on Lord of the Rings and avatars and stuff. So I think it surprises a lot of people that there is so much more to New Zealand than like Hobbiton and Sheep. There's a lot of really amazing talent in various fields in New Zealand. And one point that I wanted to make was that today we don't actually have to leave New Zealand to make our mark on the world. New Zealand has really good internet infrastructure, which is the portal to the world. So we can actually build global businesses and relationships from our backyard and now with Bitcoin, you can trade directly with anyone in the world. And like with AI, you can build products and companies without having to invest heavily in attracting global talent and stuff. So we can just get started. And that's a huge leg up nowadays. And um, I think that's a really interesting point for people who are considering, should I go to New Zealand? It seems so isolated. You can do so much and there's so much culture and talent here. Move to New Zealand. That is the key message here. Move to New Zealand, build Bitcoin stuff. Before we move to Bitcoin, I have one last question. It seems like a lot of billionaire citadel builders are moving to New Zealand or at least setting up that extra bunker over in New Zealand. I recall Peter Thiel got a citizenship in New Zealand and probably has some massive underground bunker complex somewhere. Is this something that is actually common or is it just something we read in the news? 
I think it is a uh, thing, Lucas. Yeah, it's a, thing. a bit of chat about it. Especially, oh, I was say I might let Brandon speak because it's down in his area. A lot of it seems to happen in the south where it is beautiful and tucked away at the other end of the world. Yeah, there's definitely been a pattern and it does get spoken about in the news over here a bit. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add is, yeah, just to echo that it is a thing. It's a thing because it is one of the places where you can pay for advancement in your citizenship process. I know that because headed through that process, not for paying for it myself, going the long way and just came across that. You know, it's a beautiful place. It's a place where you can buy some land and get away from people. You can actually build a bunker if you've got the means and you can pay for the privilege. So- does that like pump the real estate prices like crazy because all these billionaires are building a lot of bunkers or is that just a small portion of because I, I heard that there's like a billionaire citadel community that have these just massive mansions, I think on the South Island. Is this, is this correct? There's a lot of land down here, man. It's not um, we're not we're not having to worry about building bunkers on top of bunkers just yet. OK, guys. We have another song, and the song is none other than For Today by Netherworld Dancing Toys on the radio in the 80s for like forever. Kiwi Lamps New Zealand chose this song for us. Such a great vibe. Hey, uh, Kiwi Lambs, can you add something? It was a song that, uh, you know, back in the 80s, just used to play a lot on the radio. And um, it just had some great backing vocals there by a lady called Annie Crummer. And um, it just seemed to be on the radio forever. So just a really enjoyable song and uh, very popular band of the New Zealand 80s. Bitcoin history in New Zealand. What was going on in the early days? Do we have some OG Bitcoiner that was ranting about Bitcoin back in 2010? Do we have some interesting early companies that were started? I'd be interested to know if anybody else in the group um, has any experience from that from those very, very early days. But I would say, like New Zealand as a young country, because we're small and because things come here late, like we only just got a Costco, for example. It was probably a slower start in New Zealand than potentially in the rest of the world. And we, we touched on a very pivotal piece of New Zealand Bitcoin history with Cryptopia, which was one of the biggest shitcoin exchanges in the world before Binance really took off globally. But I would have imagined that that was one of the first kind of introductions of a lot of people to 
Bitcoin in New Zealand was that we had an exchange that you could easily send New Zealand dollars to it and you could buy Bitcoin from it fairly easily. So that was one of the first things that probably smoothed people's access to it in New Zealand. Um, but I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on Bitcoin look like in New Zealand in the mid-2010s because it was a very individual time for me, but I know that it was going on. Well, I hadn't uh, uh, you know, discovered Bitcoin that far back, but I did hear there was a conference down in Queenstown, which I believe was one of the very one of the first maybe i don't know if anyone here had actually attended that or had known someone who had gone but i believe andreas antonopoulos was down there as one of the key speakers oh, i was i was going to chime in i went to the conference with uh, andreas it was in queenstown in 2014 it was organized by a guy called Franz strangner and actually vitalik butterin was there as well but it was before he'd launched uh, ethereum so didn't really know who he was i remember seeing this very gaunt looking guy and thinking shit that guy needs to eat more food and <laughs> and yeah everybody was quite interested in what andreas was doing because he just talked to the canadian senate and done a really good job talking to them. So yeah, we're quite stoked to have him over here. And he came over again in 2017 as well for a, a conference in Auckland. Back in the early days, there was a very early Bitcoin exchange started. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was running before 2014. It was called BitNZ. It was run by a guy called Daniel Newton. BitNZ.com was the domain. And yeah, he ran it really well. It was Bitcoin only, but it got hacked at one stage. The email server got hacked and he lost quite a few Bitcoins through that. And so I think he lost the motivation to do it. So he kind of threw in the towel at that point. There was quite a succession of different exchanges after that, but all of them seem to have banking problems. It's been just the experience for a lot of people in the Bitcoin space, having banking issues, trying to run businesses. So we have a serious problem with banks here. Most of our banks are controlled by large Australian banks. There's only one native New Zealand bank called Kiwi Bank. And so, yeah, a lot of the the thought process goes to Australia and they just say, it's too risky, we're not interested. So it's yeah, it's quite a tough space to operate in. Yeah. And then, like Simon said, Cryptopia happened. And um, yeah, we've we've had some long running exchanges. So there's a few now. But the uh, KiwiCoin is the longest running sort of new, uh, Bitcoin only exchange, but they, they don't have a lot of volume. And then there's a few other exchanges that also have shit coins on. I was just going to add to that, Lucas, that the conference in 2014 that Rob just mentioned, then I knew nothing about it, but I was reading the Andreas Antonopoulos book series, The Internet of Money, and the transcript of the talk he gave there is published in one of those three volumes. I can't remember off the top of my head which one it was, but I got quite a shock when I turned the page and it said Queenstown, New Zealand, 2014. I was like, what, what? So that sparked a furious Googling and I was quite surprised to see and I knew nothing about that. It was a couple of years ago when I read that and then read all about how he gave a talk down there. It was quite quite interesting to see something so early happen in New Zealand all the way back then. Yeah, his, his talk was money as a content type. So it's like, you know how you have text slash HTML or like JavaScript as a content type where he was like, money is now a content type. So it's quite, yeah, it was a pretty cool talk. James, there are two companies that I want to shout out. In 2014 or 2015, there was uh, My Bitcoin Saver. I believe that was Sam Blackmore. And that was a Bitcoin dollar cost averaging service. Really useful because in New Zealand, we didn't have any Bitcoin liquidity. There weren't any miners here, really. So we all were wiring our money to Bitstamp and Mt. Gox to buy Bitcoin. But they pulled people's money together to buy Bitcoin as a group, a group buy. So that saved on fees. And then they also... Uh, 
distributed that to our wallets self-custody. So it was really pioneering that Bitcoin dollar cost averaging mindset self-custody back in 2014, 2015. And I believe Sam might be now at Swan. I think there's actually quite a lot of Kiwis working at Swan, so US company, but powered by Kiwi Ingenuity. And another Kiwi company that I really want to give a huge shout out to is uh, Tor Market. So Tor Market is the longest running English speaking free market or darknet market, as they call it on Tor. And that's a Kiwi company that has for five years running never scammed anyone because the way they set up their market, they were quite early to do this. I think it was 2017. They launched 2018. They don't take custody of anyone's funds. They do what's it called? It's like a multi-sig where uh, the buyer of the goods confirms once they've received them and then Tor Market releases it to the seller. It's pretty impressive. You know, these darknet markets usually last six months before they scam their customers or their um, traders on there. But this was a New Zealand one that actually has a really positive reputation globally. And um, they are currently offline for an upgrade because the way they run their payment system is that it is on-chain and with the congestion on chain with the recent ordinals popularity, they are looking at innovative new ways of how they can do payments quicker and more efficiently. And that might be the Lightning Network, but who knows what will happen. So I think that's really cool. Like a lot of people don't like talking about Darknet markets because they allow dealers to sell whatever they want to sell on there. But I think it speaks a lot to New Zealand's reputation as a good trading partner in the world that when we run a marketplace, we're not out to scam anyone, we're just here to facilitate trade. And I think that's really cool. Rob, I have a follow-on question about the conference you went to. How was the vibe? This was early days. Was it a lot of people, a lot of New Zealanders, or was it mainly people coming from abroad? Yeah, there was was a lot of Kiwis there. There was a few Australians came over as well, actually. There was the CEO of Atlassian. I think they're a big Australian software company. He was there. There was a few international people who came as part of the community that Andreas brought with him. Jeffrey Tucker was there as well, and he gave a talk, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, there was a, a mining guy there. I can't remember exactly his name, but he was, I think, was it Genesis? It could have been Genesis Mining, maybe, who was there as well. So that, yeah, there's there's a lot of Kiwis and then a good mix of sort of international visitors as well. Maybe there's a lot of OG Bitcoiners lurking in New Zealand. They're just not on Twitter. Have you noticed that running the meetups, OGs turning up? Not too many. I have come across a few people who... Um almost need a re-orange pilling like I did meet. I've met a couple of people who were into Bitcoin quite early on and now have a different sort of feeling about it. And so I've sort of started trying to re-orange pill them a little bit, but they sort of see the the energy use as a barrier. New Zealand's a very environmentally conscious as a group, generally speaking, I think. And um, some people immediately see their energy use as a major problem. So I've attempted to try and talk to proof of work and those sorts of things with them. Haven't got too far, but I definitely do think there is a cohort out there that were in Bitcoin early and have sort of faded away, and we can hopefully bring them back. BTC Nautilus was about to say something. I was just going to say something similar. When I first came here, I did the same thing that I did a few years ago, and you know, went looking around for Bitcoiners. And truth is, I didn't find many. But having been here for a while and learning a little bit of the history about the conference and and the things that were going on here, some of the really early. I assume those people are out there, but, uh, you know, in a couple of years as our community sort of grown up and, and there's, there's quite a few of us out there now, we haven't really found those people. It's a bit of a mystery. We're hoping those people show up and start building with us. Bitcoin community, New Zealand calling for the OGs come join, come out of the woods, come hang with the New Zealand Bitcoin community and listen to the next song. 
Wonder, wandering Eye by Fat Freddy Drop feels like a typical New Zealand summer wrapped into a song. Funky stuff. Bit Kiwi, you chose this song. Tell us more about it. Um, I just remember when it was on, it was just everywhere at the time. I think it was about 15 years ago or so. Um, and it was during summer and it was just massive everywhere you went. I just heard it all the time. And I thought it was just quite representative of a bit of a, there is a bit of a genre of New Zealand music, especially around that time and has continued. It's been really popular um, and there's actually a few of the other songs that others have suggested, uh, those kind of realms as well, like um, the Black Seeds and Salmonella, Dub and Tikitane. It was a little bit of a sound of New Zealand that was going on and they're also from Wellington and I'm from the Wellington region. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a good one I remembered that I thought was a nice symbol of that sort of genre of New Zealand music. Is the typical vibe this like summer happy feel? Is that is that the vibe? Yeah, I think so. There's definitely that feel and that Wellington music scene. Yeah, that kind of reggae influenced dub jazz type thing. Yeah, they love it here. It is very summery. I feel that way anyway. So Bitcoin is about to boom. That's what you've been saying. Bitcoin is really about to boom in New Zealand. We have a booming New Zealand Bitcoin community. Could we kick off? by hearing a bit about what you guys are doing in more depth. But Kiwi, do you want to take the word here and start? Yeah, I'm keen to everyone else to speak about what they're doing. But what we started doing was just trying to get people together. And, and we could see there was a, we met, met a few people around. We knew they were around, but there just wasn't the face-to-face catching up with each other, really talking Bitcoin and, and having a bit of fun. And so we've just focused on that. You know, we were a bit nervous in the start how if anyone would turn up for the first one, but they did. And then we've just been really stoked with the quality of the people who have been coming to the events we've been putting on. Just really smart, knowledgeable people who actually want to do things. They weren't just turning up to talk about Bitcoin. Once they got there, you just heard people start to talk to each other about ideas and projects and people were going off and starting to do things together. And then we would just hear more and more outside of the events of things that people were creating and ideas and what they were building. And it was just really exciting. And so we just focused on continuing with these events and bringing these people together and then watching great things happen, basically. Yeah, and it's just been cool. So that's our sort of focus. Providing somewhere where everyone can get together and talk about these things is one thing, but actually seeing these people go out and do awesome things is another. So I'm keen to hear 
a bit more about their projects, to be honest. Could you just describe the meetup a little bit more? What do you do? Mm-hmm. How do you organize it? We've basically been organizing via Twitter only, really. We found a venue in Wellington that we started in, a brewery bar where they brew their beer at site. We initially went searching for venues that accepted Bitcoin and found none in Wellington. So we got talking to this venue. We thought their space fit and it was quite good. And it's the typical model of how these things work is you can you can reserve bar space free of charge at a lot of places in New Zealand. So we were able to just uh, reserve a large area of the bar for a full Saturday afternoon, which fit us perfectly. And then we just started contacting other Bitcoiners on Twitter and talking to whoever we know to get them there. Um, we tried to set up something with a bit of novelty there, like not just sitting around the tables talking about Bitcoin, which is awesome in itself, but we wanted to make it something else because we were very conscious that it is a small place and there can't be that many Bitcoiners in Wellington. So we really wanted people to come from around and get them together. And that sort of attitude has worked because I'd say the last couple of meetups, probably half the attendees were from outside of the city the meetup was in. People wanted to travel to come and talk to the other Bitcoiners, which is really cool. And it's not too much of a barrier to travel that far in New Zealand. It's not a huge place. So the novelty we sort of put on was myself and Dan and Dan, my friends who created BitKiwi, we sort of got into it by way of reading a lot. So we built a large Bitcoin library. So we just started bringing that there. And that was a great talking point that people could flick through the books and talk about a few different pieces of Bitcoin literature. And then we actually came up with a system. So we couldn't find a bar that would accept Bitcoin, but we wanted people to use Bitcoin some way. We thought if we can get it hands-on, it just provides something else. So we came up with a bit of a concept using the Lightning Network, where we essentially can put a static LNURL code up on a screen with a little bit of artwork so it looks okay. And people can pay a standard fee of sats for a drink. And so we arranged with the bar essentially to just pay a bar tab like normal, like any other customer. But we built this sort of bespoke system sitting in the middle where you could pay some Bitcoin to a wallet and then take a, a token from that that we had sitting there and take that up to the bar and the bar staff had been trained to give you a drink for that token and then we'd settle the tab at the end and so to the user it feels like you're buying a drink with bitcoin in it and achieves that sort of end and the bar's not worried about you know we didn't have to orange pill the bar they're not worried about it to them it's just another bar tab and so that was a really cool system we thought oh People could use this at the first one to pay for their drinks and then we'll work on orange pilling the bar later or finding a bar that accepts later and then we can go the whole hog. But people really enjoyed it and it was a bit of fun and huge, huge shout out to Kiwi Lamb on this call. So we came up with the concept and put it to him and he basically built it in a matter of hours for us. And every every event we work with him on any tweaks or updates we need to do. Um, and he's essentially the developer sitting in behind this thing and makes it happen. I mean, it's hosted on our own nodes, predominantly his, um, but we get it working that way. And so it's it's been awesome. And he's been a legend for that. And people found it such a novelty at the first time that we decided not to stop. So, you know, we built a bit of fun into it when, when the payment goes through it comes up with a message and plays plays a song and we had this we've got the song pink floyd money um playing when you've successfully made a payment and people have a laugh when you use it for the first time it, it's quite a novelty and and people like it so we've just kept it going and improving it and used it through all the events now and so that's the sort of novelty we try and add we had another draw there we've got a um very difficult to get bitcoin magazine in new zealand postage from the states is extortionate so we managed to get in touch with a New Zealander who worked at Bitcoin Magazine who put us in touch with someone else and we were able to arrange a little bit of bulk shipping to get that at our meetups so people could get their hands on a copy of Bitcoin Magazine for a reasonable price. 
otherwise very difficult to do so in New Zealand. So we're continuing to look into ideas like this and, and little novelties to make it something worth traveling to and something where you can use Bitcoin and not just talk to Bitcoiners. Yeah, and that's essentially the story of BitKiwi a little bit. And then we've got sort of quite big plans we want to expand a bit. So four of our events have been in Wellington and one has been in Christchurch. We've got another one in Wellington in July and then we're going to go to Auckland in October. And then we're trying to plan a big one for Queenstown in February, which is a real destination spot in New Zealand. So hopefully we can get some travellers to that. And so yeah, we're intent on growing them bigger and bigger and just providing that place for all of the awesome New Zealand Bitcoiners to get together with each other and make things happen. Is this the song? That is the song. Every time a drink is paid for a bit, there we Yeah. Okay. I love when hearing these very practical stories about how people do stuff. Are you also connected to other organizers around the world and share best practices? Is there a Bitcoin meetup organizer community? Not a formal one that I know of, but we have naturally started to come in contact with meetups. So we had someone attend whose father came with him and his father was had traveled from England and he was a regular at the Leeds Bitcoin meetup and he put us in touch with their group on Telegram. And so I went on there and they they were curious about it. So I explained exactly how to do it in a little video and just said it, it's quite easy to do. This is how you build it. And let us know if you want any help. And then Kiwi Lamb said that he'd even help further with it, with some technical detail if they needed it. Um, I haven't heard too much <laughs> back from them, but we have had that a bit. And we've recently been more in contact with some of the Australian, some of the people in Australia organizing things. And yeah, we have had contact from a few different meetups and we get a lot of chat on Twitter asking about that system. So I don't know if anyone around the world has actually implemented anything similar yet, but we've certainly been very open trying to tell them how we did it in case they're interested. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll continue to get more of that. Hopefully if we expand a bit, we can help help other meetups out. Yeah, we had, um, was it the Irish Bitcoin community on a few weeks ago and they were also explaining in detail how they had organized. It was it was really interesting to hear. BitKiwi, you wanted to uh, feature some of the projects and what people are working on. That's what we also do in this section. So who do you think should should kick it off? Um, well, surely Tiff and James Biggie should be talking about Orange and what they're doing there. I know that's doing pretty cool. I'm not much of a gamer myself, but I'm seeing it all the time in the feed and that and heard from a couple other people who have been playing around in there. So I'll be interested to hear about that project a bit. So Tip and James have a project together, is that correct? Oh, um, we don't just have a project together. Uh, he's my partner. <laughs> but um, I think I'll let James talk about it. I feel like he'll do a much better job at explaining. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, does anyone uh, know about Geyser? Geyser's like a... Bitcoin Kickstarter type website. So we launched the Orange Project on there to raise capital to uh, start a gaming community slash clan for, it is in the game called Rust. And what we've been able to achieve in the first five months is what we're pretty impressed with and pretty happy with. It's a, um, a community focused on survival or the games focused on survival. And through that game, we're helping people learn that Bitcoin is a tool for survival. It's actually an essential tool for survival. 
and we're using in-game rewards. A lot of people, their first time ever receiving Bitcoin has been through playing in this world. And then there's also opportunities in this world to spend your Bitcoin. So they get the full orange pill journey from start to finish and in a community of people that's all focused on learning more about Bitcoin. So that's been really cool. And the guys of Project, the fundraiser has been going really well. I would add that like, if you've never been inside like a multiplayer online world from like a first person perspective with insane graphics, it's highly immersive and it's such an awesome place to just meet up and hang out and play and trade and use Bitcoin. There's a really good overview video of what Orange is about at the Orange Mart Twitter profile pinned at the top. And like just from my personal experience, like it's been so crazy to be able to interact with people from over 30 countries over the past few months and kind of just learning and playing with other Bitcoiners. And I think just bigger picture, this type of immersion might be how a lot of people start to interact on the internet, like as opposed to just hearing voices or um, Twitter posts. It's very much you're in this world, you're hanging out together, you're driving together, you're um, running around and talking, sitting by the fireside. Right now I'm in Thailand, but I still hang out with the Kiwis in Orange and also you know, people from South Africa and South America. And it's like crazy that we're also able to trade with real money, like move real value between each other using QR codes and lightning. And so it's, even though it started off as this project, I feel like there's just so much more to it where there are more opportunities to collaborate with people around the world. You know, you can set split value without needing to create this sort of like traditional company structure. In the future, individuals will have more autonomy in creating value that accrues to them directly through meeting people through worlds like this and working together in these kind of like virtual worlds in the comfort of your own home. And there'll be more opportunities to support projects through platforms like Geyser. And these projects will become sustainable without you needing to sell equity or do kind of these big fundraisers. And we're now, you know, in our third decade of the internet with Bitcoin and AI, it's just crazy how fast things are developing. And yeah, this is just the beginning. And if you've never tried anything like this, um, and if you have a good gaming computer, I would highly encourage you coming to join us in Orange and having fun with Bitcoiners. So Orange is a community in an existing virtual world software, or is it its own software? So it's so can a, I can I add something? I'm I'm just a recent player. I've just joined this world, and it, it's pretty amazing. It gives you the opportunity to not only meet local Kiwis, say in in a local meetup, but it's actually almost like a global meetup where you can meet you know people throughout the world. But there's there's probably some really awesome opportunities in the game because you can potentially do some sales, or you could do some sort of promotional materials actually inside the actual game itself. So it's like a platform that's uh, quite customizable. So we're already sort of in the game, like you meet up with people and there's just idea sharing and, oh, what could we do to, you know, promote Bitcoin further? And there's even, you know, ideas of a group of people joining another world and maybe going in and promoting Bitcoin in some way to a completely different group of people. Definitely try it out. It's pretty immersive. It's quite addictive. So Orange is a server that is hosted on an existing game called Rust. So Rust has been in development for the past 10 years. Different people can host their own servers around the world. It's pretty decentralized. And yeah, we thought it was a great first principles kind of proof of work game where you 
wake up in the middle of the beach with nothing, you start with a rock and then you have to slowly build your way up. Like everyone starts off kind of the same. And interestingly, every month the whole island wipes, like there's a nuclear bomb, it goes off and then you start again every month. And so it gives us like a chance to start fresh and people who are new, they can catch up. And as Kiwi Land was saying, you can promote your real life businesses in there. Like there are people running around walking past your billboard, past your QR code. People are selling Blockstream Jade in there with a promotional QR code with 10% discount. And there have been sales already, like there's been like three sales. So it's like, you've got this landscape where people are hanging out. You've got their attention, you've got their time, you've got their energy. And it's like, they're all coming together because they want to hang out and play with each other. Why not help promote Bitcoin products? Why not educate kids who are coming in who don't know about Bitcoin, how to use Bitcoin for the very first time? It's like such a new way of orange pilling people and it just combines so well with digital money because it's a digital world and there's so much possibilities yeah it's been freaking hectic and pretty amazing so yeah (laughs) this is really interesting how did you think of doing this were you already playing rust um uh, being part of the rust community and trying to orange pill people in the public servers which is like the public schoolyard and that was a lot of fun and then thought it'd be cool to have our own kind of headquarters, our own server where we can do the orange pilling there. And something that's been actually quite cool that's come out of it is about once a month, everyone on the server gets together for a meetup, a Bitcoin meetup. And we have someone speak about a Bitcoin topic. And usually it's um, very topical and actually very high signal. It's almost like a university seminar or lecture. And our most recent one was with Patrick Ulrich, who did a seminar on Nostra. So we all learned about Nostr and we all got excited about how we're going to try and modify Rust to have uh, Nostr integrated into our vending machines so we can trade on Nostr and build a reputation that carries through to future wipes. And then that content is a really cool aspect of Rust is that it's very cinematic, the way we can record the content and create really high quality. um, It's almost like we're running a conference and we've got a live stream going for the live event, but we also have a recording that we can edit afterwards and get some cool footage and turn it into a podcast too. So it's really become like a content studio for us. Not to mention, James, you also have the ability to incentivize people to go around and find Bitcoins and incentivize people to seek them out and then use them, which is a really interesting uh, concept too. Is this server... Is censorable or are you able to run this, say, censorship resistance somehow? The server is being, because it's built on Rust, we are to some extent beholden to the Rust developers and how they develop the game. But access to our server, if they want to censor us, what they can do is remove us from the public list of servers that are available, but they can't actually prevent people from directly connecting to the server. So um, if we run into that issue, it's not really a problem. People can still connect. But what we're doing is always going to be within the terms of service because what we're doing is just freedom of speech. Okay, that's really nice. And are you able to moderate the discussions? Because I could imagine that you may get some users coming in that may want to show stuff. How do you make sure that the conversation stays focused and doesn't devolve into people trying to scam? <laughs> yeah, it's a good uh, good point. Um, Rust is a very unforgiving environment. And so, you know, you have to really fight to establish your presence on the island. And if you aren't being a positive member of the community, other members of the community can remove you from the island. And that creates a lot of drama and tension and a lot of fun as well. And what we try to do is the in-game chat, when people talk in-game, that's all logged publicly and uh, relayed to our Discord chat. So when people aren't in-game, they can still see all the 
talking that's happening in the game. So people know the full drama, the full story, everything that's happening. And that actually gives people a sense of accountability and wanting to build a reputation because they see the potential of doing trade and commerce in this world. And they don't want to be alienated from it by being a dickhead. <laughs> like people want to be good. Yeah, but it's you, you make a good point. It is you, We're not going to start banning people for their behavior. It's meant to be a, a free world where people fight for their survival. And so there is a lot of uncensored, a lot of vulgarities and a lot of, yeah, a lot of tension. It's fun. One way it makes me think about how once I spoke to a guy that works in the Swedish secret service and I was asking him some questions about how do you think about privacy because he he worked in the division basically digital surveillance worldwide and uh, he said well uh, one of his key points was assume that everything you ever say is completely public so behave in a digital realm like anything you say is public and in this case actually it is public very say publicly also a little bit similar to Bitcoin, right? You can see all the transactions. Okay. Are you guys interacting as well with the offline BitKiwi community? Is there any, uh, say, uh, synergies in collaboration? We absolutely love attending the BitKiwi meetups. And so that's where we hang out a lot with the Kiwi people in meet space, as we call it, when it's in real life. <laughs> BitKiwi unmuted. Tell us, what did you have in mind? Um, no, we don't really have anything in mind in that space. So I was kind of relieved James stepped in to speak because I wasn't really what sure to say <laughs> what I was going to say there. Um, but no, we just focused on, as James called it, the meat space. It tends to be our space. Um, we'll see how things evolve if we get into the uh, the non meat space at some point. It's interesting. The spontaneous uh, co-hosts here are representing the Kiwi meat space and the Kiwi digital space for Bitcoin community building. It really gives me a lot of ideas here because one of the key things that we see doing these Global Bitcoin Fest spaces is that we interview Bitcoin communities and Bitcoin community builders worldwide, right? So we see a lot of efforts of these circular economies in meat space being created, especially in Central America, Latin America, but also now increasingly worldwide. And one of the things that I'm noticing with these, these communities is that it's a little bit difficult for them to build critical mass. Because one problem is that a lot of people that are in one place may not, say in a village, may not actually be Bitcoiners and everybody has their journey. It can take some time. And the other problem is that you can't really make Bitcoiners easily move all to one place and you may not even want that. So I've been increasingly starting to think that these online communities could be a different way to try to kickstart a circular economy. Have you guys thought anything about that as well when you've been building your community in Rust? That was a really um, long question, by the way. Did you get the gist of what I what I asked? I think the gist of what you asked is really good. It's um, We are trying our best to create a circular economy within Rust, and the way it's succeeding is because Bitcoin isn't circular. There is no border to this Rust world. The Bitcoin that people are earning in Rust are able to be spent at their convenience store. You know, the, the Bitcoin they're earning in their job is able to be spent in Rust on the services we're offering in this game. So it's kind of like we're just trying to tap our world into the global Bitcoin economy that's already thriving and circulating. Okay, so um, BitKiwi, who should go next? Please direct the word. <laughs> um, 
I think it would be a cool story to hear about Cody's podcast, The Transformation of Value, and how he's got that up and running and how he's been going and what, what he's looking at for the future. It's a really interesting podcast. I've been on a few times and really enjoy it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, The Transformation of Value really came out um, of BitKiwi, um, meeting everyone in person what late last year. And just realizing that there was a space for, I think, these sort of hyper-local voices of what's happening with Bitcoin in New Zealand, but also connecting it with people overseas. And so I've spoken with actually quite a few of the people on this show, uh, but uh, I've also had the opportunity to talk with quite a lot of people internationally about Bitcoin, including a Kiwi couple uh, living in El Salvador, uh, James and Nikki, who have uh, made uh, El Salvador their new home. So I spoke with them. Um, I've spoken with uh, the Consensus Network, just uh, the most recent episode, who are doing a lot of great work translating Bitcoin literature, Australian economics literature, into uh, local languages. So I met with the founder, Nico, of that project. But again, also um, balancing that with local conversations. So I've spoken with you know Simon about his mining, the way you know New Zealand can approach sustainable Bitcoin mining. I've spoken with Rob around some of his work around accepting Bitcoin in New Zealand and how we can you know share the Bitcoin story. I've spoken with Paul around uh, the Bitkiwi you know concept and and the meetups. And I guess what I'm trying to do is really bring people together to have these conversations, not just about the technology or the protocol, but some of the broader impacts that Bitcoin is bringing into the world. So I've had some really good conversations also with people working in the primary sector, so agriculture, people who are not even Bitcoiners really, but they they kind of are. So I had a, I had a talk with a guy who's working on decentralized dairy farming, which is really getting away from kind of big corporate ownership of these critical industries and trying to decentralize it. And that's you know really important to our country and to the, the sustainability of our food supply. And in a way, you know, he's he wasn't really a Bitcoiner, but he is. You know, he's he's thinking about how we can make things more local, uh, more sustainable, and, and that sort of thing. And and having these conversations with people who are kind of pre-coiners, I guess you could say, in a range of different industries, a range of different areas, I feel like we can thicken the discourse around Bitcoin and kind of what it means because we all know where, where it's heading, and we've got some ideas around kind of the concept of money and, and currency and that sort of thing. But really, the the second order impacts on economies, on culture, on art, philosophy, all of these kinds of questions, trying to bring that wrap that all together. And so, having that from New Zealand, I think it's has been really powerful. I've got to meet a lot of people recently. I was over in Tokyo just visiting for a month and I got to meet some really great people. So I got some great episodes lined up to release in the coming weeks, but the show's going really good. We've done 25 episodes so far, uh, weekly releases, and the support's been great. I've been running the show pretty much just through Fountain and um, you know, po- using podcasting 2.0 as as kind of my monetization vehicle and it's been really powerful to see the support and I'm really thankful for the support from everyone. I don't know how I, people would do it without having something like Value for Value or Podcasting 2.0 as a, as a as the backbone of of these kinds of things because it it really makes a huge difference and I think that's what's really stood out to me the most is just the power of the transformation I guess you could say of how you can create content and media moving forward in a Bitcoin world you know you don't have to rely on ads and things like that you can actually really just do value for value and, and work with like-minded people and, and get support from people who are listening. So it's been a really great journey so far. Can you walk us through how that works, the uh, podcasting and then receiving sats on a very practical level? So if I want to set up a podcast and receive sats, 
what do I do and how does it work? Do you announce it on the show? Hey, please, just these very practical steps. What do you do? You know, I upload my podcast using Spotify's standard podcaster portal. Then I'm able to, to link it up with Fountain. So fountain.fm, you just verify your account. And then when people listen to your show on, on apps such as Breeze or Fountain, they can stream sets straight to you or they can even do boosts. You know, think of it as just giving a little bit of value for every minute that you listen to someone speak. You're kind of giving them a bit of value in return for that value that you get as a listener. And so there's not really much you have to do on, on your end as a listener. You just have your app. You know, you fill it up with some sets on the Lightning Network. It's it's um, it's really straightforward with the UX. And then, yeah, you just set an amount, say 10 or 50 Satoshis per minute, and that just streams straight to me. And that's it. You know, similar to what James and Tip were mentioning with Geyser, these kind of ideas of peer-to-peer crowdfunding, I guess you could say, I think are really powerful. And, and I think it's going to bring in a whole new era with um, social media, with the way people share their work and their content online, that you can really support people directly uh, without these kind of middlemen, things like Patreon and that, which can take quite a bit of a cut. I think there's something really powerful there. But in terms of the technical side of it, it's really quite straightforward. If you've got a podcast already, you can pretty much just hook it up in about two seconds and um, start accepting, you know, getting Satoshis for people listening to your show. And then, yeah, you just direct them to an app like Fountain or Breeze to um, to support you. Cool. What was your impression talking to Nick yeah. and James? What was your impression as a Kiwi talking to these Kiwi expats fleeing to the other side of the world? I spent some time with them in El Salvador. They're podcasting about their experience in El Salvador, right? What was your key takeaways? I mean, it was a great conversation. Uh, they weren't really happy with, with what was happening in New Zealand, which was understandable. Um, over the last few years, there's certainly been some challenges. They um, relocated their life to El Salvador, and um, they're really inspired by the energy in the country. And I actually had another person on the show recently who is actually from El Salvador, but has come the other way. He's now living in New Zealand, uh, Roberto. And he's really given me the story of how El Salvador has changed over the last few years. And I haven't had the chance to go myself yet. But talking to Nikki and James, you know, there's this kind of energy in the air that, you know, if you've got an idea, you can do it. And the country is still very humble, but working towards this bigger vision things are improving things are getting better and there's something about that when you feel that in the air that a place is in the ascendancy it's a very powerful and a palpable concept i've been really i was really inspired by that i'm hoping to be able to get over there in the next little while um, and just sort of see what it's like on the ground and um, maybe meet some more people building because i think globally a lot of people are looking for where the next place is going to be i think every place you know has its moment and right now it looks like el salvador is, is having its moment yeah, most definitely. Uh, I spent the past year traveling. Last year was 19 countries and uh, definitely El Salvador was a nugget. Also uh, discovered Rotan or Prospera is a interesting uh, free private city building community. Just came from Abu Dhabi now, which has this insane chaotic builder vibe as well. And living in Vietnam, where I, where I live at the moment in Saigon is like pumping we have tip living in thailand from time to time tip question have you interacted with the bitcoin community in thailand yes in the past week and a half i've been to four bitcoin meetups in real life it's like it's so cool i really love the community here it's really like a mixed bag of like young thai kids to like expats around the world bob space is an awesome place to go to 
meet local Bitcoiners. They host like workshops as well. I learned a bit about Bitcoin script last week run by a guy from Sweden called Eric. Like it's awesome space. But yeah, there's also a Bitcoin conference in Thailand in July. And I think a bunch of people are traveling to that. So I'll be there. Tip, meet Tip and James, I guess, in Thailand for the Bitcoin conference in Thailand. Yeah, I think it's organized by Piria and Bob Space. Piria is this crazy Bitcoiner in Thailand that's been ranting on YouTube for the past six, seven years. And when he announced that they're going to do a conference there, I think they got like 400 people to just buy tickets within a few days. So the Thai community seems pretty orange-pilled by already multiple years of ranting. Cool. I would love to hear a little bit about the Node Runner, the tech support for the BitKiwi Meetup, Kiwi Lamps, and Z. Could you share a little bit about what you're doing with um, building stuff? Yeah, um, I don't have a specific project of my own, but uh, I'm just a pleb. Um, and I just like helping out with some of these great ideas that um, we've obviously talked about here today. And BitKiwi being one of those with helping out uh, technically with the uh, events and taking lightning payments. And also just recently joining the Orange community in a VR space. Something that is of interest to me in that space is that what you can do is you can customize the world quite heavily. And that's actually modifying some of these objects and items in world to be able to do stuff that you want them to do, you know, interact with Bitcoin. And that's done using a programming language and uh, customizing those. So that's where I'm starting to look into that and, and understand that framework and try and see if I can help that world in customizing some of these objects and items. And also helping another person on the call here, Simon. I'm also doing a little bit of work with him in the background to do with his uh, stack of business. He'll probably speak a little bit more on that soon, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's all I have to share. One thing about the node that you're running, are you connected to many other communities around the world? How are you building that node? So that's the Lightning node. Yeah, that's just a standard Lightning node on the network. And I have probably a dozen channels out that are connected to various other nodes throughout the world. I run what I call a public node. So it's available to see who it's uh, connected to, et cetera, on some explorers and things on the internet. The other option is you can run a private node that's um, you know, a little bit more invisible to the network. But yeah, it does connect out to various other nodes and obviously that spiders out further from there in a decentralized uh, manner. I manage that by monitoring those channels and making sure the what we call balanced is not too much money on one side. And that's sort of like, you know, every few days you probably look at that and tune it. Are you the go-to guy that everybody picks up the phone and calls like, hey, I need to help with the node. I need help. like you're the son to all these. He absolutely uh, is. He absolutely is. This community goes nowhere without Kiwi Lamb. Oh, I wouldn't go I, I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> Uh, I just, as I said, I, I like being involved in the space and I just like helping people out where, where possible. As we mentioned before, everyone has different skill sets and, um, you know, you need some technical people in there too to be able to build stuff, so to speak. That's beautiful. One of our original podcast producers, Dax Sosa, he was flab in the background 
two years ago. He started by helping us to edit the podcast because he had some time but on his hand. But quite quickly, he created a node and then he started to support Max and Stacy. And now he just doesn't have any time because everybody knows I would need <laughs> help with stuff. So yes. it seems like, like it's so important with people with tech knowledge that can support them. Yeah, I'm in a fair job. And this is, you know, side stuff that I like helping out with. I'd love for it to be full time. You know, that would be a goal. I just don't know exactly where that road is going at the moment. But uh, it's exploring and get a lot of, uh, I guess, happy feelings and, and helping other people. I can feel that cosmic energy that you're emitting. It feels like something should be coming right back to you. I look forward to seeing how you progress this. Rob, you yeah. Uh, thanks, Lucas. Yeah, working on a couple of projects. One of those is uh, with some friends of mine from the UK, and we're called Laser Eyes Cards. And I remember you, Lucas, talking to the Irish crew, asking them if they've used the bolt card. So it sounds like you've used the bolt card. Is that right? I tested it in El Salvador, actually, when uh, Bitcoin Piraya in, in Brazil was showing how they're using it. Super cool. Please continue. Yeah, so um, I'm a director in a company with uh, my friends, Peter, Chris, James, and Simon. Some of those guys make up Bridge to Bitcoin and Bitcoin Events UK. We do the Laser Eyes card, bolt card. So basically, it's a card that has LEDs in it that are lit up by the NFC reader so that when you tap your card, the card like shines laser eyes at you or into the eyes of the merchant, who, of course, doesn't mind because he's already orange-pilled Bitcoiner. It's, uh, it's a bit of fun. And um, yeah, you can find them on lasereyes.card. Yeah, we ship worldwide. Yeah, there's lots of different designs. You can even design your own. We've got a page for designers. So if there's anybody who's a keen designer, you can see the instructions on how to do it. And we'll yeah, print them off and ship them out. And I also do open source development work for the open source bolt card standard as well. And we've working on the, some of the work that my friend Peter Rounce has done with the, he wrote the open source bolt card standard in Go. We built the bolt card wallet, which is, it's a fork of blue wallet where you can connect your bolt card to it. And then when you pay with your bolt card, you get a push notification telling you how much money you just spent and you can enable and disable the card and do things like that. It only works on Android at the moment. Unfortunately, we're still working on the iOS version. So apologies if you've got an iPhone. It's uh, coming soon, trademark. So Rob, could you explain for the audience what the bolt card does? Because I'm sure a lot of people are not familiar with it yet. Yeah, absolutely. So the concept was actually came up by an exchange in the UK called Coin Corner. They came up with the idea, and it's to use a, a card, which is essentially an NFC card. You can basically connect the card to your Lightning node so that when you tap the card on a payment terminal that accepts NFC, such as Breeze, Wallet, Wallet of Satoshi, Zeus, Vault Pay, Tink, there's heaps, Tinky, I'm forgetting some BTC Pay service support it. So there's lots. You can find out more on the boltcard.org website, more of the POS systems. So basically, when you tap the card, it authenticates a payment from your node to the merchant's node. And you can set the sort of maximum payment limit so that somebody can't just empty your account. And you can set like a per transaction limit and a, a daily limit. And so when you tap the point of sale device, request the amount from your node, your node pays it right in front of you. And it's just like the experience is just the same as the legacy sort of Visa, MasterCard, PayWave tap and go contactless it's no different but it's just obviously entirely over the lightning network so completely with bitcoin how did you decide to focus on this 
Yeah, so I was at a Bitcoin-only meetup in North Wales when I was back in the UK, and I met Peter Ounce and, and Chris there uh, of Bridge of Bitcoin, and I got talking to them, and Peter had open-sourced. He'd he'd seen the bulk card done by Coin Corner, and he was really keen for it to be an open-source standard, and so he thought they were going to open-source it. So uh, we kind of waited and waited, and he got impatient and decided to just open-source it himself, and uh, he, he needed help with the programming of the cards because... Uh, you actually need, a, if you don't have an app to do it with, you need a card reader and they're expensive and you've got to plug them into a computer and do some complicated stuff. So I wrote an Android app where you can program your card from your phone, making it much easier. But again, only from Android phones at the moment, unfortunately. iOS coming soon. <laughs> and as a Bolt, say, community contributor, I don't know how to describe this, but basically you're building on top of the Bolt standard, right? And Coin Corner are the main maintainers, I guess, as the developers. Are you getting a lot of support or how does it work to build that? No, so really Coin Corner have, to use the Coin Corner Bolt card, you're in their closed source system. So you have to sign up with the Coin Corner exchange and then you have to AML on, onto their service. And then you, they store your funds. So it's entirely custodial and AML. And so using the same standard, we built an open source version completely separate from them so that everybody can use it, not just people who AML onto Coin Corner, if that makes sense. Okay, I got it. That's pretty cool. So, But they developed it and then they open sourced it for everybody. Is that a correct understanding? No, they, they never provided any code to the open source community. I think my understanding ah. is Peter Rounce, he he basically figured out how it was working and then he he open sourced it himself. Okay, cool. So um, wh- where do you order this? Uh, the website is lasereyes.cards. Lasereyes.cards. Order a laser eye card there. and uh, <laughs> Thanks, Lucas. You, uh, you can design your own, correct? You can. Yep, if you've got a bit of design skills, yep. If you don't have any design skills, do you, can you get a custom one as well? Yeah, we well, there's lots of different designs and we're adding more. If you're a designer, we'd love to host your designs. We've got some new awesome designs coming on from famous Bitcoin designers in the space very soon, so stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send in uh, Jacinda Arden, uh, Laser Eyes. Such a <laughs> contradiction. Um, okay. Let's hear more what Simon and BTC Nautilus does. But before we do that, we actually have another song. And the song is called Dutchies by Shapeshifter, a modern Kiwi classic, none other. And it was selected by our friend Simon O. Collins, who's going to share his stuff next.
So all I could hear in the beginning was Hodor, 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 like Game of Thrones, the guy that keeps saying Hodor. Uh, I'm sure that's not what he's saying, but that, that's what I heard. Simon, uh, please share about this song. <laughs> um yeah you yeah you know you might you might want to look at the lyrics there so shapeshifter are, are an iconic new zealand band they've been around for uh, more than 20 years now they're a really great live act and they sell out venues across new zealand they're a new zealand festival staple they will headline festivals with the same billing as international acts. They're a huge band in New Zealand. And founding member Sam Trevethick is a Bitcoiner and is a Bitcoiner, a home miner, a good friend of mine, and also co-founder of my business, Stacker. Ah, uh, that's a great segue. Actually, the video here says the system is a vampire. I guess that's where it comes from. Please share about your business that you're doing. Um, yeah, so so I run a company called Stacker, and we're a mining business. Uh, we've been in operation for a couple of years now, and we are transitioning from a classic on-grid mining business, which just buys its energy from the cheapest retailer, to one that seeks to really deeply integrate with the energy supply. So like any country, any energy grid, New Zealand has an energy grid with some unique features compared to other countries. We have a really high proportion of renewables. More than 80% of our energy is produced from low-carbon sources. But we also have a very long, skinny grid. So all of the energy is produced down south and all the consumption is up north. It's not all produced down south, but you know the, the majority of it's down south. Anyway, that leads to some really unique energy market nuances that we as a very low cost way of deploying equipment to soak up energy can alleviate so if you've got an abundance of energy in a place even if that energy is intermittent like it's not available all day every day it's better to sell it to somebody like a miner than to stop producing it where you don't see any revenue out of it at all or to curtail its production or to put it into the ground some people actually will literally discharge into the ground um, when they have too much energy and unlike you know yeah batteries or other heavy users bitcoin is cheaper to deploy and faster to turn on and off than any other kind of energy sink. And so in our view, the opportunity is in creating a highly networked Bitcoin and energy grid that's really tightly integrated so that we can mine Bitcoin for you know very good prices. That's the whole point, right? Is to earn Bitcoin at margin over just spending the same money that you would on electricity as you would on Bitcoin. You need to beat the market in that way to make it worth being a miner, but also to solve some of the issues around energy in the country. And one of the big issues, as well as things like congestion or changes in demand across the day, is that we aren't attracting enough growth in energy generation to this country to meet the projected increase in consumption over the next 5, 10, 20 <clears throat> years through to 2050, when this stuff has been modeled out to. And if somebody doesn't step up to subsidize the economics of investment in electricity generation in New Zealand, it's not going to get built. And that's another opportunity that we see for Bitcoin is that, well, if you can say that wherever you put a wind turbine or wherever you put a hydroelectric generator, we'll buy at least this much, you can then plan your 
deployment of new energy generation with a lot more certainty around your return on that investment. And so that's the business model from here is to develop into the energy grid and to grow alongside it because that's just a necessity, right? We're electrifying everything. So we need more electricity, but who's going to buy it while rates are low or while demand is low? And that's going to be us. Do you know of gridless computes? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Is it a similar no, model to, to what they're doing? Uh, yeah, it could be. I mean, so Gridless, where are they based? They're um Africa, somewhere. I think Kenya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're really micro scale, right? That's super awesome because that fits the kind of generation profile of Africa, right? Which is very, very fragmented. So I guess there are some fu- sort of fundamental similarities in the kind of philosophy of, of these businesses, right? That there's a way of working into the way that energy is produced in different places to make sure that one, you're improving the energy infrastructure in those places, you're making sure that there's abundant energy for people to use in their homes and in their businesses, and that Bitcoin is even more radically decentralized than it currently is by being positioned geographically in all of these different places, because that's where the energy is, rather than just centralizing in China, Kazakhstan, and Texas. Yeah, it's, it seems like this is a trend, definitely. We had um, a very early Bitcoiner on from Norway, Sturle Sunde. He started in 2010. He basically built the Norwegian Bitcoin community. They also have a lot of hydropower. And he was talking about this problem that there's a lot of private energy producers that are kind of struggling to be break even. And he wanted to address that problem in Norway. Do you have a similar mm-hmm. dynamic in New Zealand? Are there a lot of private owners of the energy production or do you have to work with uh, more municipal Um, owners yeah so it's a mixture there we have five what we call gen tailors in this country and they are state-owned enterprises they're sort of 51 percent owned by the government and they are sort of barbell shaped right they own the generation so they own hydroelectric dams wind farms geothermal plants and then on the other end of their businesses they own the retail what they don't own is the middle bit they don't own transmission and they don't own the local lines for each regional district and that's to create well that was designed to create competition it hasn't really because the generator retailers will always be able to undercut small independent retailers but there is um, especially in wind there is a lot of private development of generation often you'll get a developer that scopes the site out builds the asset builds the generation asset and then sells it to an operator Um, that seems to be a model in this country but yeah you know it's it's a privatized sector but the government keeps its paws in for the sake of revenue and you know just to come along and fuck things up really have you gotten a lot of funding? No, 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 we have not gotten a lot of funding. That continues to be one of our pressures. Okay. So one thing that I was thinking about before this space was I wanted to maybe bring up Chris Dark. Chris Dark is a uh, English, I think, entrepreneur, VC. He was part of the founding crew of Atomico. He lives in New Zealand now, and uh, I've been trying to convince him that he should do a Bitcoin VC instead of uh, the other VC that he was about to start last year. 
So maybe you guys can bring him to one of your meetups and uh, convince him that he should just go all in Bitcoin VC instead and just help drive the Bitcoin community in New Zealand. It seems like there's a few startups already brewing. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it would, and and I think as well it would get a shot in the arm from having a dedicated Bitcoin capital market. Because I think at the moment, I mean, my experience, and we haven't really gone to market for capital as yet. We've, you know, been working on the energy side first to make sure we've got that squared away. And then the plan was to, once we had some really good arrangements in place or provisional arrangements, was to go to market for equity or capital. But even testing the market, you realize how the traditional funding channels just don't really understand Bitcoin. And even you're kind of you know, we work with our local, we're in, in, in an accelerator, we work with the local economic development agency, all that kind of thing. And none of them get it. You have to teach them about it, first and foremost, and then you have to get over their biases. And then you have to convince them that it's a good idea. And you've got to do all of that before you're even pitching your idea. And so somebody who's just like cut all of those out of the process would be a huge benefit to the space. There we go. Chris, Dark, can you hear Simon speak? Listen to Simon carefully. We need you in the New Zealand Bitcoin community. Actually, we need you around the world. We also have an East Asian Bitcoin-only VC, uh, Lewis, that runs Memesis Capital, which is a family office, really. He invested really early into uh, a lot of the big shots now, one, right. Unchained Capital, and so on. And he's looking to invest in the region. So maybe you should check out what they're doing at Memesis Capital as well. Maybe go over to uh, Taiwan, where he resides, uh, yeah, and hang out at the oh, meetup. And bring I'm him over to there. New I'm Zealand. over there in three weeks. Perfect. I'll introduce you. I we went there, uh, yeah, was going to do the Taiwan uh, Globe Bitcoin Fest, went there, and it was really interesting. So I think we're having a trend where all of the East Asia, now, I don't know if, uh, you know, New Zealand officially is East Asia. It's kind of like its own space with Oce Oceania. But I think uh, all of this part of the world is going to come together. So definitely should connect. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Simon. Building a business with the musician you heard earlier, a shapeshifter that calls the system a vampire. I like that. BTC Nautilus, last but not least, please tell us, what are you doing? Sure. I guess I'm uh, being a tinkerer. Um, not like Kiwi Lamp, just building things for fun and, and showing people you know, what you can do with Bitcoin and Lightning. I Over the last couple of years, I have my own Lightning node been running for a couple of years off of the back of that, built things like uh, an ATM that I brought to BitKiwi meetups and had some fun with that, letting people buy some Bitcoin off of me. Not too much, <laughs> fortunately. Done a bunch of other things around that too, built a dancing robot. You can pay for sats and uh, you know play with point of sale systems and played with all of the all the tech tools. I think my immediate aim was to be useful. Um, I've been around for a while and, and know a lot about the tools that we have available to us in Bitcoin. So spent a lot of time in the Telegram channels that we started around this community a while back and just helping people answer questions, pointing people in the right direction. Alongside doing that, had uh, built a pretty terrible website, nzbitcoiners.org, which is now less terrible with the help of some of the other folks in here. It's, it's pre looking pretty great now, building some new content and really just trying to build out some resources for people to learn about Bitcoin the right way from Bitcoiners. And I think as a product person professionally, that's my BI gig. 
I you know, take a perspective on this that's really focused on how I can be useful driving adoption in New Zealand. And that was my first effort was building that. I'm really happy about what we've done there with the help of Rob and Cody and I think HGW is somewhere in the, in the listener pool. It's a good start for having the right resources for people to, to learn more about Bitcoin and you know get a New Zealand perspective on that education as well. I think more recently, a couple of us, Rob in particular, Simon's been helping us lately as well. Um, we've been thinking a lot about a new project that's really early days, but you know we're focused on how we get that adoption here in New Zealand. I think we mentioned earlier in the about New Zealand section that laid back nature and apathy sort of sets a mode here in New Zealand that you know makes it difficult to find the need, right? That people find things here okay, and that's generally good enough. But one of the things that's not okay is that the merchants and the payment systems that we have here really are a pain. And the fees that people pay to maintain those systems and operate them is, is something that we can do better with. So you know, we're looking at what we can do better there, particularly using the Lightning Network as a, a means to solve some of those problems. In addition to that, how we make New Zealand get connected to the Lightning Network is an important part of our journey. Early days on those projects, just looking through all the things that are going on here, there's, there's just a ton happening in New Zealand and uh, you know I'm happy to be part of it. Yeah, you started off humble and then you just kept ranting about more and more stuff you're doing. Uh, I love it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, if I find it interesting how, cause we're, we're running a club pod, podcast, right? We're, we're, we don't care about, uh, if people are big shots and have a lot of followers or if they're like a 20 follower account. We hear all, all kinds of stories. It's really, uh, I think, interesting how each, uh, each Bitcoiner is kind of thinking of their angle okay what can i do how how do i want to contribute and sometimes we have these people like oh i do nothing but like oh come on like every bitcoiner is doing something and then we hear these amazing stories of somebody that uh, is orange pilling in some really interesting way and i think every bitcoin story is so interesting when you get down to the details how people think about it how they do it it's it, it's a learning experience every time Kiwi wants to jump in and say something. Oh, I was just going to say, it was interesting you talk about someone being humble. And I know Brandon's uh, not really, <laughs> he's only been in New Zealand in New Zealand for a few years, so put, maybe can't put him in that same boat. But it's also a part of the New Zealand culture, I think, is your average New Zealander is very wary about self-promotion and blowing their own trumpet, so to speak. It's a very, very real thing here that people have a great desire to just naturally want to appear humble and be humble. And when someone does sort of stick their head above the parapet, it's a known thing in New Zealand around what they call tall poppy syndrome, where if somebody's sort of blowing their own trumpet, then the rest of New Zealand really wants to cut them down. And it's just this weird thing about New Zealand culture that we've, uh, we've sort of always had. And I think it's kind of ingrained in us that you kind of rely on other people to speak up that you're doing something good. And New Zealanders typically don't want to speak of that themselves. So I think it's probably it fits with the New Zealand psyche completely to stay humble and stack sets. Boom. So BTC Nautilus has completely integrated into the New Zealand mindset. Is that, is that a good summary, BTC Nautilus? I guess there's a reason I've stayed here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good place to be. In Sweden, I'm from Sweden. In Sweden, we have something called Jantelagen. And it was ex it's exactly what you described at Kiwi. Uh, I didn't know that you had it in New Zealand as well. 
because Americans, I mean, I have some some really good friends from the U.S. and it's the complete opposite, right? Like, <laughs> okay, calm down, calm down. <laughs> okay, this was super awesome. I think we've heard some really amazing stories. Before we move to wrap up, is there something that we haven't covered about New Zealand that we uh, should definitely cover in terms of like Bitcoin, right? No silence. We emptied. I, we, we emptied the magazine. And I, I got. I've got one. I got one thing to say, which is, um, Rob and I were at Bitcoin Alive conference in Australia a couple of months ago now, and what I think both of us came back with a very strong sense of the Bitcoin community in Australia is obviously bigger because you know it's a bigger country, but I came back with a very strong sense that the New Zealand Bitcoin community is on par with anything that we saw over there you know like we're we might be a very small country and a very small community but in terms of the things going on there they're like as and i don't want to I, I don't want to put my head over the parapet here but um you know we're punching above our weight in terms of what we're delivering on here and so i think i really hope that new zealand is somewhere to watch as a center of bitcoin activity in the near future because i think especially the people here and even a few people that i can think of who aren't here right now there's really awesome stuff going on that has the potential to really catapult New Zealand to front and center on the world stage. I love that speech, Simon. And by the way, you should also connect to Piccolo. He's listening. He's uh, the one building Bob Space or one of the guys building Bob Space. And he just went to Bhutan to uh, talk about uh, Bitcoin mining over there. So uh, I'm sure you guys would have some stuff to talk about. I'm sure Tip has already met uh, met him and James as well. So talk to Piccolo and let's hear another song. We love the New Zealand music so far. It's been a great vibe, great summer vibe, funky stuff. And this one is called April Sun in Cuba by Dragon, a summer ale tune. And the one that chose the song is Kiwi Lamb NZ. Let's hear the song.
Yeah, I can almost smell the perfume, right? Okay, tell us. Tell us Just another song. classic of the 80s. Actually, I think that was probably released before the 80s, that track. But uh, I do just recall this, uh, you know, summer holidays and this pumping on the radio. It's just a classic New Zealand tune uh, by a classic band. Uh, Dragon's done other great songs and hits uh, in the in the eighties as well. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, great vibe. Was there a strong uh, rock uh, rock and roll uh, tradition in New Zealand? It seems like it. Yeah, I guess uh, a lot of bands. I mean, I'm not much of a musician myself, but I <laughs> uh, don't play an instrument at all. But, um, you know, a lot of bands came out of, you know, high schools, uh, universities, especially like Dunedin. They were breeding grounds. And then, you know, they were playing in uh, pubs and bars throughout New Zealand. So, yeah, definitely that rock and roll stuff appealed to people. It's Kiwi. Oh, I think he just summed it up really. I was going to add, yeah, there was a huge rock scene in New Zealand that was very well known. They called it the Dunedin Sound in the 70s and through the 80s, really. And there was a famous record company called Flying Nun Records that released most of them. And there was a real sort of a lo-fi, duty, hard rock sound that really came out of Dunedin in particular and then spread through the country. And that was a huge part of it. And sort of maybe out of, it wasn't really the Dunedin sound, but feeding into the 80s, we then had um, the likes of Split Ends and later Crowded House, which were the famous Finn brothers that were kind of birthed out of that sort of background, I guess, a little bit. Um, and they were quite big and large through the 80s and 90s. So there's definitely a good rock right, and rock and roll sort of legacy through New Zealand through that period. Rock and roll. Bitcoin New Zealand, we've heard the crew. Let's um, hear a few roundup words from each one of the participants. Anything you want to say, chill your project extra, share the vibe from this one. Anything, but Kiwi, we'll go with you last as the main co-organizer. And let's maybe kick it off with our rock and roll legend, Kiwi Lamps and Zayat. Would you like to start? Sure. Hey, look, every Kiwi out there working on Bitcoin, keep building and, uh, you know, helping out your uh, fellow plebs that may need a hand in the technical side of things. One of the great things in the Bitcoin community that I think the Kiwis have really brought to the fold with the, you know, meet space meetups is that you just ask, get talking to people and there's always help there. Seek it out. Seek it out and seek out Kiwi Lambs and Zet because uh, this is the uh, master community support, technical support for the whole New Zealand Bitcoin community. Thanks for your work. It seems very appreciated by the community. Hey, honorary Kiwi, BTC Nautilus, please, if you can share some roundup words. Absolutely. Again, great to hear again more about what everyone's doing here and in particular it, it's been a crazy journey the last 18 months i know it's been mentioned a couple of times going from seeing nothing uh, looking out there trying to find bitcoiners to, to where we're at today I, i'll encourage the same message we've heard said a couple of times if you're a kiwi out there who's you know a bitcoiner and is looking to get involved come find us there's a lot of us out here and we're doing some cool things it's going to happen and the best way to make it happen is for you to come help us so let's have at it beautiful very inspiring another 
very hands-on Bitcoiner, BTC Nautilus, doing a lot of stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, uh, the transformation of value by Cody Ellingham. Could you yeah. share? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think at the end of the day, my anecdote from the beginning, you know, I, I always see somebody on the plane when I'm coming back to New Zealand from Japan. It applies to Bitcoin as well. New Zealand is a small place. We're only one or two connections away from everyone else in this country when it comes to business, politics, to getting things done. And so that means I think there's a real opportunity for the future. We're talking to government, talking to small businesses, working with people to get Bitcoin into the conversation, making it into a thing. I think it's actually a lot more feasible in a small country like New Zealand than in many bigger countries. And so we actually have a real advantage there. And I want to see more of that. So I think all of the work we're doing, everyone here and others is working towards that. And if I can do my little bit with my podcast, which you can find on Fountain and other podcasting apps. Just search for the transformation of value. Have a listen, join the conversation. And if you're floating around, come to a BitKiwi meetup and meet in real life. Everyone's welcome in Bitcoin in New Zealand. And yeah, keen to just keep talking and uh, keep building. Great uh, loop back to the start there. Yeah, listen to the podcast, learn. Simon. Hey, well, yeah, I think I, I stole my own thunder a few m minutes ago. But um, first of all, I'd love to thank you guys for hosting these. These are really awesome events and it's really cool to be included. I really appreciate being included, both, you know, being invited by the Kiwi guys who obviously were your New Zealand hosts and you guys. So thanks for the time and the space and spaces to um, talk about what we're doing. I would just reiterate what I said before, like I think New Zealand is somewhere watch. I think the depth of this small community is what makes it powerful. And um, so I hope we can continue to do more of this kind of thing in the future and find other ways to collaborate and integrate because that's what makes us so strong. Thank you so much, Simon. I really believe that the Bitcoin mining track is a really important part of national infrastructure. So those that are early, maybe can capture some of that wind that's going to come soon it's very needed thank you for your work rob hey yeah um as somebody who's been through a few cycles i can say that this is probably the best bear market i've ever been involved in mainly because of all the awesome bitcoiners i've i've met recently uh both new zealand and and in the uk as well yeah i it gives me a lot of like hope for the future and it's great i think meeting up in in real life is very important because it reminds you you're not you're not mad <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'd just, yeah, I'd like to thank everyone here. I'd like to thank you for coming and taking the time to meet us and all the best. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Rob. I'd like to ask a follow on question on your comment there, because it's quite interesting. I have the, the exact same experience. Obviously I'm, I'm really a Bitcoiner only since 2021, but I was seeing firsthand how the value of my shit coins were just collapsing and collapsing throughout the bear market starting 2018, 19. And my impression was also that I was much more muted, even though I wasn't tuned into the Bitcoin community. What would you say is the reason or the reasons that we have a much more lively uh, bear market now? That's, uh, that's a really good question. I'm not sure. All, all I know is that the, the, the newer Bitcoiners I'm meeting are helping reinvigorate my inner Bitcoiner and kind of bring in fresh ideas and sort of more energy and passion to the space. I don't know wh where it's come from or why it's happening, um, but it's, it's definitely, it's great. 
Yeah, I've been thinking that maybe the Lightning Network makes it so easy to be practical and hands-on. And another one is actually Twitter Spaces that's connected so many Bitcoiners around the world. For, for sure, for myself, I must say it's been essential to my Orange Pill journey and, and connecting to other Bitcoiners. Thank you, Rob. And we have Mr. James. James Vigiano. Did I do it right this time? Yeah, uh, thank you for having me and thank you to everyone for giving up your time to speak today. Um, I just wanted to use this sign off just to give everyone a reminder that there is a pathway to fast tracking Bitcoin adoption in New Zealand in four months. We have a general election. Um, it's a given that we are changing governments. It's just not a given what that government's going to look like. It's looking like it could be a repeat of 2017 where it all comes down to just one person with one seat choosing who they want to be a coalition partner with. We could definitely try and make that person a Bitcoiner and they could hold out on forming a coalition on the grounds that Bitcoin be legal tender. So there is a pathway to Bitcoin adoption being fast tracked in New Zealand if we do want to speed run it, but also slow and steady adoption is great. So we don't have to worry too much about that. But yeah, let's remember to use all the avenues that are available to us to advocate for Bitcoin and let's bring that bright orange future to New Zealand soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, James. It was really interesting to hear about this orange virtual community it's the first time i hear about it tip yeah um i just want to say to all the non-kiwi bitcoiners out there put new zealand on your travel bucket list come to a bit kiwi meetup meet us in real life go on an awesome adventure in nature and most importantly when you're getting fish and chips in new zealand try to go to a place that uses fresh fish and it is a bonus if they cook your chips in beef fat and they coat it with chicken salt it is the best Oh, yes. Fish and chips in New Zealand. Is it very different to the fish and chips in England, the UK? Oh, yeah, it's totally better. Of course, it's better. Everything is better in New Zealand, including the Bitcoin community, the most awesome Bitcoin community in the world. And uh, Tip, thank you for co-hosting. Super nice to hear what you're doing with this Orange community. I love it. I, I didn't get time to ask you about your investment activities. I'm a little bit curious because I'm in the tech sector myself. But I'll add a question before the last comment. Have you done any scouting of Bitcoin startups? Yeah, so I was actually working for um, a venture capital firm that started off in Australia. And a couple of years ago, myself and one of the partners came and opened up a VC firm in New Zealand. And when I started making TikTok videos about Bitcoin, I had a bunch of founders in, in the Bitcoin space reach out to me. But it was mainly overseas. And that wasn't really in my mandate of investing in New Zealand startups. And Bitcoin being you know, um, open source and a lot of projects aren't really focused on how do we rent seek, didn't really fit into their model of how do we make money um, within this investment. And so it was really difficult to try and convince people to, you know, give Bitcoin startups a go. As Simon was talking about before, it was very difficult to try and convince the traditional financing model to fund something relatively new open source type projects. And so I brought in a company called Satoshi Energy to pitch to the partners and they unfortunately passed, but we tipped a very minuscule amount. Angel invested in them. And then through Bitcoin Adventures in Australia, we also invested a little amount in Breeze. And yeah, it was just very small angel investing checks, but we just wanted to support Bitcoin communities any way possible. And I think Geyser has done an amazing job of actually, you know, 
pulling up all these projects from out of the weeds for us to just donate where they don't actually have to give up any of their equity. I think that's the future of funding. I'm way more bullish about that type of funding than kind of the centralized model of one firm raising billions of dollars and allocating a lot of money to things they're not very close to. Well, you can do the Andreessen Horowitz model, right? You just uh, find the net shit coin and you just pump, pump, and you make a lot of money by making impoverishing no, other people. Life is too short for that. It's incredible. I find how ultra rich people just crave more money. It just just seems like it's so such a waste of life. Good on you. So you're out of that VC now and doing other stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, out of Fiat VC, a hundred percent focused on Bitcoin. Boom. Awesome. Tip, connect with Tip, connect with the other Bitcoiners here. And BitKiwi, of course, our co-host, our eminent co-host that brought everybody here. Thank you so much for co-organizing this with us. It was a blast. Could you share a couple of words? Thanks, Lucas. Yeah, I just wanted to thank all of the Kiwi or adopted Kiwi Bitcoiners for coming on. These are awesome. These are really great Bitcoiners. Thanks to all of them also for supporting our events by attending them. And yeah, looking forward to collaborating with you guys and seeing your projects and initiatives to succeed. And thanks for having us on, Lucas, and the whole team doing this. It's been a privilege. I hope all the listeners got to learn a bit about New Zealand. I can see that there's some really good Bitcoin things going on down here. And on that note, yeah, come to New Zealand. So we're having events, Wellington, July, Auckland in October, Queenstown in February. These are all great places in New Zealand. You know, tag it on. Go down the country, have a visit. You might have seen in all the tweets. And and I mean, all of those pictures and videos and things are all just taken by people in here. They weren't stock images or Googling. Those are real photos that people took in their neighborhoods or traveling around, traveling around New Zealand. And that's what it's really like here. So yeah, get over here. Come and see it all. And uh, keep an eye on New Zealanders and Bitcoin. Thanks. Thank you. And for context, for those listening, we have a tweet on top announcing the giveaway, but the uh, retweeted tweet inside of that is the actual space. And below that is a bunch of tweets showing different things from New Zealand. And that's the pictures that were referred to here. A lot of interesting pictures with food and nature and yeah, go check it out. It's um, it's really awesome, that thread. And one thing that I noticed organizing this space was how well organized you were. Uh, it, from our first uh, interaction and then from our call, and you started immediately getting on it, getting pictures and all kinds of stuff. So I can imagine that you are very organized in terms of building out the uh, meetup and uh, how to take it to the next step. I'm super bullish. I want to come and snowboard in New Zealand. That's been on my bucket list for a long time. Living in Vietnam, it's not too far. So I may be coming down in not too long, especially as I can go there in the summer to snowboard, which is a good, good time. So with those words from the Bitcoin community in New Zealand. In my ears, it sounds like you guys are really taking off. We are Global Bitcoin Fest. We love to hear local communities share their stories. We love to connect Bitcoin communities with each other. There seems to be a bunch of different synergies between the New Zealand Bitcoin community and other parts of East Asia. So hope that those synergies can maybe happen in the next few months, maybe as a result of some introductions that we can do. And um, yeah, thank you very much. We are having one last 
One last thing to do here. We need to unmute everybody. If you can unmute together. And this is supposed to be chaotic, so I don't want everybody to mute, unmute. I want everybody to be unmuted together so that we can get the full chaos uh, of this together. And uh, so that includes, yeah, perfect. James, can you also unmute and detract uh, the transformation? Can you also, oh, perfect. Now everybody's unmuted. So remind me again, how did you say goodbye in Maori? Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. And any other ways to say goodbye in uh, in New Zealand? Harera. Harera. Harera? Is that correct? Harera. Harera. What does that well, mean? It's goodbye. Goodbye. Rob, what did you say? Kakite also. Kakite. What is that? Yeah, that's goodbye as well. Is all of this, uh, this is all Maori, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Any other ways, like English ways? <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> so everybody picks their favorite and let's say goodbye. Thank Later you very bye. much, guys. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye. This was amazing. I really love this. And we have one last song before we say Kiora, And it's Fire by the Black Seeds. I moved to New Zealand in 2015 and the funky beat of this song caught my ear at a beer festival just a couple of months after I arrived. I smiled and watched these guys seemingly enjoying it as much as I did. Honorary Kiwi BTC Nautilus shared this song with us and kia ora everybody, thank you so much. Feel you burning 